The fourth, and last for our purposes, of these remarkable women emerged from the twisted towers and blasted keeps of Harrenhal, that vast ruin beside the water of the God's Eye. Shunned and forgotten since Daemon Targaryen and his nephew Aemond had met there for their final flight, Black Heron's accursed seat had become a haunt of outlaws, robber knights, and broken men, who sailed, sallied forth from behind its walls to prey upon travelers, fisherfolk, and farmers. A year ago, they had been few, but of late, their numbers had grown, and it was being said that a sorceress ruled over them. A witch queen of fearsome power. Mm-hmm. That just sounds so cool. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, and it kind of came out of nowhere, right? We were I, I don't think anyone was expecting this, even though we had a preview of Alice Rivers in The World of Ice and Fire and The Princess and the Queen. The detail we had didn't really lead. I don't think a lot of people expected this to be how this character was filled out. And frankly, the character still has more filling out to do because, you know, She's part of the crossover into Fire and Blood, too. Um, and with a name like that, Witch Queen of Hall, it definitely sounds like a, a nod to Lord of the Rings, the Witch King of Angmar. And it probably is. George, of course, is a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. There's no way he missed that. But George, being who he is, it's not just a nod. There's a lot more going on here. As usual, we did our research. And as usual... Whoa, there's way more there than we thought. And <laughs> and uh, we continue to be surprised, even though this is the pattern that happens every time. This has never happened to you before, Aziz. This is the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time we've been surprised by the depth of material. How but, many Blood Raven episodes? Like 16 at this point? I think it's 25. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand and one, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a thousand episodes in one. There but, you go. And, but, with the, but it's it's not just a... A, a very deep topic that covers a lot of things that we weren't expecting. It actually has a lot of relevance to the end game because Hall sits right on the lake, the God's Eye, which itself has all kinds of end game foreshadowing and theories about it. Uh, so that makes this extra enticing as a topic, in my opinion. And Alice Rivers herself is a witness to this famous dragon duel that happened at the God's Eye. And some of that itself may be part of the end game. So... Lots to say about that. And of course, there's George's literary skills are really on display with this uh, with this analysis here as well, which is something that I sometimes I'm surprised by because, you know, I, I have a reasonable understanding of literary stuff, but it's not my expertise. There's a lot of like finer points of, of literary uh, academics that I just don't get. You weren't an English major or right. anything like it. No, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's we have some great guests here that are going to help fill this out and have some amazing thoughts, things that were blowing my mind and my mind was already blown by some of the things I found on my own. So this, I hope you guys feel the same after we get through all this. So mm-hmm. let's start off with uh, Joe Magician. Yeah. Say, Hey Joe, no, how are you, you doing? Just, you have to introduce uh, him. You've already coughed your way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Joe Magician, he's handsome, he's clever, he's got blue eyes like the deep ocean and he can chew gum and talk at the same time and cough during our intro. So, you know, he's pretty cool. I, I see you guys changed it back. I wrote in the document that he can chew gum and chalk at the same oh, time. I figured I was tired when I wrote that so that was me. <laughs> Well, tell everyone where to find you these days and what you've been working on. Tell me where uh, to find you specifically, yeah. clearly. Tell Ashaya. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you can obviously find me on my own YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Joe Magician. Uh, recently put out a trailer analysis video like everyone else in the world did. Um, upcoming for, you know, 
link to this, a history of how strong, which will heavily feature Alice Rivers as well, and a Q&A video. There's also Maester Monthly, the podcast I co-host with uh, the fellow A Song of Ice and Fire mods, like uh, Glass Table Girl, Bookshelf Stud, Fat Walda, sometimes Jeff. We don't like it when Jeff's on, but he does sneak on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing uh, how well he owns that role. Yeah, <laughs> the troll role. The, he's always the heel. <laughs> and of course, uh, Watchers on the Wall, where I'm a future writer for them. I think I'm going to be doing a, another beer review soon, so that would be pretty sweet. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And this is... How many times have you been on our show? Is this second or third or fourth? fourth. I think this is fourth. Cool. All right. Yeah, as soon as Maybe? I said second, I was like, no, it can't be only two. There was um, the the prequel. There was the disease one. And I think there was another one in there somewhere. Yeah, there might have been. Or maybe that was just we were together on someone else's channel. Anyway, we yeah, we're, anyway, we're all familiar with each other. <laughs> We've been but, on panels together at that's Con true. of Thrones. We panels true. together at Con of Thrones. That's a good time for that to mention. Um, Con of Thrones. Uh, oh, you yes. You get $5 off your ticket purchase by using the code HISTORY. And we'll be there, including Sean and uh, Joe Magician here. And we have our other guest to announce who's their first time on our show. And right. that is uh, Lauren, a.k.a. the good bard of Twitteros. Uh, say hey and <laughs> tell everybody um, how awesome you are, because we uh, we already know. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Uh, yes, this is my History of Westeros debut. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I am Shakespeare of Thrones. Some of you might follow me at Shakes of Thrones on Twitter. Um, good bard of Twitteros is just something I made up on the spot to compete with uh Joe Magician's blue eyes deep as the ocean. But Lord knows we need more. We need more good bards in Westeros. So. Anyway, um, I have written a few essays on the influence of Shakespeare and A Song of Ice and Fire. You can find them on my website at shakespeareofthrones.com. And I wrote an essay back in October before Fire and Blood came out. It was around the Halloween time about uh, the witch archetype in A Song of Ice and Fire. And I found a lot of interesting things that George R. R. Martin does with um, subverting the, uh, the archetypes of the mother, maiden, and crone in the uh, aspects that we know as the seven and turning those into the three main witch archetypes in his series. So excited to talk about that a little bit. Right on. Yeah. In fact, it was that essay that she just mentioned is one of the, well, the main reason I wanted you to come on today. I read that. and was like, oh, man, we got to have her. She knows her stuff. And this is r super in line with this topic. And uh, I was mostly new to me. I didn't. Uh, Shakespeare stuff is mostly over my head. So this is uh, very much a learning experience for me as well. So, right, sure. And we, we find it in Shakespeare. I mean, we find those same yeah. subversions of those archetypes in Shakespeare, but also myth and fairy tale. And certainly when Fire and Blood came out, I was reading Alice Rivers with you know, very interested in um, her portrayal of a witch and just thinking, oh, man, I need to return to that essay and write a little bit more. But I haven't. <laughs> so I'm here now and I'm so happy to be talking about this yeah. topic with you guys. It works out perfectly that you had that you wrote that right before this this new witch character came out. So, yeah, it's really uh, a lot of um, serendipity here. Yeah. And that was actually a duo project. 
Shakes wrote, right. wrote her essay, I wrote mine, and then we did a live stream afterwards. But just to give you an example of how much she knows about this, I essentially gave her my essay and said, please correct this because I'm sure there are things that are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a great essay. It really was. Yep. Cool. So, yeah. So we'll see a lot of that play out throughout this episode. A lot of the analysis y'all did and maybe a few new things as well. Um it's fun to note that, like I mentioned, this Witch King of Angmar nod, that's something that a lot more people would catch. And George has put nods to a lot of fandoms in his book, Star Wars, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, uh, the Dragonbone Chair. There's Harry so Potter. many. I'm sorry? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Yeah, there's tons. So it only makes sense that there would be things like this as well, nods to Shakespeare, which maybe fewer people will catch that, but it's just as much present. Um, you know, just because fewer people catch it doesn't mean it's not there, doesn't mean it's not really important. And the fact that fewer people may have caught it, maybe that is cool for sharing it with more people. This will be enlightening to more people than it might have been. Uh, okay, so let's do a couple quick shout outs and get started. If you want to make sure you're kept up to date on our streams and when our episodes are released, YouTube, uh, maybe several months ago, I'm not sure exactly when, changed their how notifications work. So if you want to make sure you get notified when we go live or when we put up a new episode, click that little bell button right by the uh, like and uh, dislike button. Also, hit that like button while you're at it. Um, thanks to a couple of our patrons who make the show possible, make it possible for us to spend so much time uh, researching and making videos. Starting off with our his, uh, first sword, Jeff Gnarly the Long Snapper, and our Dragon Rider patrons, Telenis the Talon, King of Gagasos, Rider of Telerius, the Red Dragon with Scales, Horns, and Talons of Midnight Black, and Robert the Fourth of House Ardeacor, Burned King of Blazewater Bay, Rider of Atroxus, a Black Dragon with bioluminescent spots like Smoldering Embers, and a Banded Blue Tail. Also want to shout out our podcast network, Agora. This is uh, every month we feature a different Agora show. This month, we're not featuring any particular show. We're doing a shout out for advertisers. If you want to get your show or get your company uh, more noticed, we have over a million downloads a month throughout all the Agora shows. And all the shows are highly curated and researched. They're basically kind of like this show, but on different topics. Uh, similar preparation and uh, love of the material. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good opportunities there. So if you're an advertiser and interested in that, contact Agora Podcast Network at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, I should probably do another mention yeah. here as Check well. Check this out. Um, if you notice, I'm wearing a jacket in this stream. It's not that it is freezing cold here in Atlanta. It's actually quite nice out today. But um, this is a nice windbreaker jacket. It's a Blackfire Rebellion jacket, as in... Blackfire mixed with Star Wars Rebellion. Um, as you can see, if you're watching the video, if not, we'll have an image of it in the um, podcast version. But uh, this is made by our friend Chuck, who goes to Con of Thrones and Ice and Fire Con. He's just a great, awesome cosplayer. But he has a website called Fanamaniacs. That's F A N A. M-A-N-I-A-C-S. Yeah, like, Fan-A-Maniacs. And um, you can find things like this Windbreaker and other mashup shirts and jackets, like a House Snow jacket and some other stuff like that. And um, we will be talking about that a yeah. little bit more in the coming weeks. That's right. Chuck actually went viral back in uh, September for DragonCon. He did a Doctor yeah. Strange cosplay that actually had like the, the lights and moving panels for his hand. Yeah, yeah. Really he did incredible. multiple Doctor Stranges. He did like one that was an homage to, to uh, had Stan Lee in it. Mm -hmm. He did like a play Playboy Bunny one. Yeah, that one. And really he did fun. a Marriott carpet one. Anyways, he's a very talented <laughs> cosplayer and has some really cool clothes on this site. So check that out. 
Uh, looks like we got a super chat from Dana the Dreamy. First time live. Thank you for all the wonderful, entertaining, insightful content. Irish wristwatch for the new guest. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how much time we have. We, we, we've only got her for half the time, so we're going to have to move quickly here. All right. So first thoughts here. Um, we're going to intro the topic, kind of take a high level view at it. Here's a little quote about that I want to show where the concept of witch queen and witches maybe have first sort of developed in Westeros. Uh, just to show that this isn't the only character that's gotten a name like this, but one of the few. During the long centuries, when the first men reigned supreme in Westeros, countless petty kingdoms rose and fell in the Riverlands. Their histories, entwined and embroidered with myth and song, are largely forgotten. Save for the names of a few legendary kings and heroes whose deeds are recorded on weathered stones and runes whose meanings are even now disputed at the Citadel. Thus, whilst singers and storytellers may regale us with colorful tales of Artos the Strong, Florian the Fool, Nine-Fingered Jack, Shara the Witch Queen, and the Green King of the God's Eye, the very existence of such personages must be questioned by the serious scholar. So maybe it's just a coincidence that the only other Witch Queen in Westeros that we hear of is, uh, in the Riverlands, there is one other witch queen mentioned in canon, but she's a Dothraki. Um, so I'm not sure that's too relevant to this, except for it's cool to mention. It's worth mentioning, but I'm not sure we can draw a whole lot of parallels there. Uh, partly because we know nothing about her. She's she's one. She's a one line character. Yeah, it um, just speaks to that. This is a kind of trope that cultures, civilizations all over the world, both absolutely. real world and elsewhere, associate. <laughs> that's a very good point, and it's a very true. It's going to be a big part of this episode. Is talking about how. Not only real-life people, uh, real tropes, but in-world tropes, medieval tropes, and tropes that George has is, is captured in an t- attempt either to subvert them or to show them, or maybe deconstruct them. A little of each and different depends on the situation. So Hall itself also, speaking of a place that has a lot of exor- exaggerations and tall tales told about it, well, so we're piling those things on together. You've got a character who has, this to- who has lots of tall tales and exaggerations, maybe, told about her, and a place... That has the same thing said about it. So you got this double whammy of gossip and power. And the thing is, gossip uh, is common about powerful women and other people. But yeah. it, it takes on a different tone a lot of times with powerful women, especially in a, in a s- setting like this. But gossip isn't always wrong, especially in a setting with magic. So that's kind of the weird thing here is that in, a, in the real world, if someone's like, oh, this woman's bathing in blood and casting spells, you're like, okay, well, you need a lot so. of proof for that. But in this setting... I, I, I'm skeptical about the bathing in blood, but she definitely has magic, right? Like yeah. the prophecy stuff is 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 right there. So this makes it a little trickier. But um, but she also reminds us of a lot of fun characters who were treated similarly. Um, yeah, some of whom we know for a fact did have magic, and other others we really don't know for sure. Like Danelle Lawson, I don't know that I think she necessarily had much magic, but she lived at Harrenhal and had access to books. Whereas like mm-hmm. Melisandre, we know for sure she yeah. did, you know. And then Shiera Seastar said to, said to do all these same things. Than blood, yeah, and I, I, I do tend to think that she did use magic just because she was of a, a peer of Blood Raven who did as well. Yeah. So it makes sense to me. Okay, and Egg thought so too. Yeah. <laughs> so Lauren, let's get your first take here. Um, tell, talk about Shara for a minute. Tell us what you think about this and the general trope oh, of that and your well, overview. You know, um, my my initial thought was when when I read these show notes about uh, the current the recurrent motif of rivers. Um, you know, whether it's which queens of the Riverlands or um, the surname rivers, I thought, wow, that, that must be really intentional. And uh, I think it's really interesting because it also brings to mind Brendan Rivers and all the magic that takes place in the Riverlands in the main series. I think George is definitely intrigued by rivers as a metaphor for magic and great power. And I think it's not 
a difficult no. stretch to no. imagine why, because a river is a very powerful force. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we see that now. in Essos, too, of it course. Gives life, yeah. um, that's like one of the more magical places that we see in the whole series, obviously, is the Bridge of, of Sorrows and all that. And the Rhine. I mean, the Rhine in general. Like, so, yeah, yeah. We, we do see rivers as a very magical place. That's a good That's a good take there. I think that maybe you're right. George is uh, very bought into the religious and mystical and significance of that as a, as a life giver and as a beyond that. Joe, what about you? What do you think? You got some good uh, some notes here. Yeah, I actually took notes for this one. Um, <laughs> you always take notes. Most, <laughs> little behind the scenes, usually my live streams are off the cuff. This one I went in for it because of my video. This is really on my mind at the moment. But like when you talk about the concept of witches and sorceresses in Westeros in particular, like it's sort of a blanket term that gets thrown on a lot of powerful women as a way of sort of like knocking them down or linking them back in some way to something negative. But when you look at Heron Hall, every woman at Heron Hall is called a witch queen like or <laughs> sorceress or a witch or woods witch or bathing in blood. It's constant. So when you look at the fact that where you said Heron Hall is located on the God's eye next to the Trident and how those are important places for the first men, this may be like, a long running thing throughout history, long before the Andals that there were like powerful women that did rule from the God's eye or on the shores of it or from the Trident. So that would make sense. Why, when you have this character, like George included that line about Shara, the witch queen, and all of a sudden we get a real one. Well, everyone clearing the riverlands remembers this story about her because they use the, na- the same name. She seems, to, she seems to be doing the same thing. And it's kind of a cool thing. Like um, we know at the end of, the mystery night, I think that white walls gets taken down and the butterwells are basically gone in like 20 years. How many times could that have happened on the shores of the God's eye mm. over the course of history? So this is maybe like a constant running thing. There's always been witches or like ghosts of high heart, like figures near the God's eye. It really feels like the center of the universe for all yeah. the magical things, all the witchy figures. Yeah. And all those qualities we see running through the main characters in the series too. Daenerys is rumored to bathe in the blood yeah, of virgins. Got it too. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a perfect example of like the things people are saying about Daenerys is a great example of how this works is that none of them almost no but nobody in Essa mm-hmm. or in Westeros has met her yet and they're all just hearing things. People even say stuff like that about Sansa. That's true. Fair. Yeah, that's true. People are thinking like like they all the rumors about how she killed Joffrey and turned into a bat. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, from her went blood. It's like it's another yeah. Harrenhal connection. It's weird. Yeah, 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 yeah coming sure. up again. It's it's interesting that way. Harrenhal, yeah, it's, this is this you guys could see here why we think there's a lot of Endgame vibes here. You got these this mm-hmm. like the rise of magic. You've got the God's Eye. You've got Harrenhal, which is this incredible creepy place. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of juice to dig into here. So let's talk about some of that. Let's just talk about some of this Endgame stuff, just as an overview. Talk and how about some might, of that juice. Some of that juice. I'm starting to talk juice like... juice you bite into, that hard juice. Yeah. <laughs> juice. I'm starting to talk like gray area. That's what she likes to say. <laughs> Get us through the long night. That's right. My sweet summer children. <laughs> I, like, I love her voice. So how strong history. That's, of course, you know, reading uh, Lauren's essay was a big part of why I thought she'd be perfect for this episode. And Joe, you're... I always call you Joe. Everybody does that. Your name is Matt, but whatever. Go for it. <laughs> but it's so Joe. It's really it's Joe. Joe. <laughs> but, but you have some, because you're doing this How Strong video. Now, we're not going to you know give away all this stuff about your video. We want to encourage people to watch it separately. But it's, of course, very relevant to this. So this sure. also made you perfect for this video as well. Now, what do you think about, let's get your takes. You've done the most research on the, the genetics and the bloodlines here. What do you think about Alice's Rivers' possible ancestry, her connections to 
Strong's and as you will probably say, Starks. Um, you can explain yeah. all that. This is uh, this is really good. Now, one one caveat first. What we're told is that she's either a daughter of Lionel or maybe even older. Our friend Nina Friel suggests she might be a descendant of Luca Moore Strong's bastards, but I think you also have a theory in line with that. So fire away. Oof. So the thing about the Strong's is they have like more bastards per capita than like any <laughs> house we see except for like Robert Baratheon himself. <laughs> they, they, they just leave kids everywhere they don't yeah. care the they seed is strong the seed is strong yeah. I could, whoa that's the title of my video uh, <laughs> my goodness wow uh, but when you look at just how the spread of them when you in fire and blood in particular we didn't know where lucamore's kids went his 16 kids but we're told in fire and blood they went to storm's end driftmark Heron Hall, the wall, and then also the silent sisters. So if you just look at the map, the, the strong just went everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, that's everywhere. When when characters start showing up that have like weird first men, old god connections, or they're particularly huge, or they're particularly uh what's the word I'll use? Lusty, <laughs> it's very possible that they could be strong because like it's hard to outproduce them. It's like fray levels of kids being thrown around the, <laughs> around the uh, Seven Kingdoms. Oh God, no! <laughs> well, and you mentioned earlier castles disappearing, right? And the Strong's yeah. Castle is one of them. We don't know. They, they're we clearly have no prominent. idea where they're from. Literally, yeah. no idea. You can guess, but the the main problem is that the Trident moves, and their their sigil is the Trident itself. So where it is now may not be where they built it, considering how old they are. It could be anywhere in the Riverlands at this point, because. Mm just where the rivers can go. And so when you look at Alice rivers, I mean, she very clearly could be a bastard of like Lionel, Lionel strong, but he spent most of his time in, in uh, King's landing. So mm. that doesn't seem likely. Okay. Uh, Luca Moore's makes sense too, because they sent a bunch of Luca Moore's kids back to Heron hall. Sure. But it could be literally any of them. And with her old guy connections. And then we see with, um, maybe like sort of glamours or these really long lived, like maybe like children, human hybrid things. It's like, if she really is like super, super old, like Melisandre old, like who knows, she could be one of these very magical figures. That's just hanging out near the trident for like centuries. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the, the, just a bastard child of the strong. So she could be like an original strong. Maybe you never know with how the old God's magic works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you guys will see, you're already seeing some of this, but throughout this episode, we already mentioned Mel Saunders, Shiera Seastar, Danielle Austin, but you'll also see some blood Raven vibes and definitely the ghost of high heart. That's another one that's yeah. going to come up pretty big. Okay. So Lauren, let's get some of your takes here. We're going to, let's, let's talk about some of these tropes as they come from the in-world sources, mushroom and Septon Eustace very often, Everything we hear about the Dance of the Dragons and a few other places, it's a battle of sources between Eustace and Mushroom. And here is one of those points where they really differ, but they're both diving into sort of recognized tropes. Uh, would, at one point, Eustace calls Alice Rivers a woods witch. And at another point, mm -hmm. he calls her a simple-minded slattern, which that doesn't work. You can't be a woods witch and simple-minded, right? So right. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, I... Uh, I think it's kind of interesting how the term woods witch is used. We hear about woods witches in A Song of Ice and Fire, and they're somehow distinct from the other witches we hear about. Of course, the uh, witch queens and uh, the, the priestesses and all of that. It seems to be lesser, uh, the lesser of witches in terms of status, you know, like the association with nature is 
almost like the association of bastards with nature. Mm. Uh, I think it's especially interesting in Alice's case with her bastard names, Rivers. It, it kind of uh, hammers that home a little bit. But time and again in, its, in the series, we see that nature is incredibly powerful and not to be underestimated. So, Oh, yeah. Natural children. Right. right. All natural children. Oh, wow. They Great. Are. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's interesting with the accounts from um, Septon Eustace and, and Mushroom. It's That's one of my favorite parts of Fire and Blood, how, how it's... Um, how it's written like that. We get all these different accounts because that's how history is. And we get uh, Septon Eustace's account, which is kind of the dismissive view of women, like, you know, nothing to really, really fear, nothing to watch out for, you know, just don't even consider it. And then Mushroom is, you know, generating that sensationalism, that fear of the powerful woman. And that's exactly what we see in our own history, too. Yeah. And Mushroom, of course, Mushroom exaggerates everything. So it's kind of in line with his thing. But it still doesn't mean this he's not doing, uh, you know, falling right into a trope here. <laughs> his accounts are so fun i would love to someone one of these days we'll have to just gather all of mushrooms accounts and kind of try mm-hmm. to read it as a whole that would be pretty that would be pretty fun that's gonna be rated m for yeah sure. rated m, for, m for mushroom yes, right. <laughs> we got there <laughs> joe magician you also have some takes on these sources let's hear from you yeah jumping on what lauren was saying um the the way they use wood witch, woods uh, woods witches is kind of derogatory. They, I, th- I think it's sort of like um, like the word barbarian or the word savage, where it's a way of marking somebody outside your culture and also primitive at the same time. Which, from an Andal perspective, the first men definitely are, especially old god worshippers. So, on one hand, it's it's kind of giving you like a coloring of the character for how the rest of the world is seeing her. But the simple minded thing is something I talked about in my latest video, the, um, the pyres and blood, when we were talking, I was talking about mad King Ares and mad Arion and mad Aegon, where it's like, they're not actually mad. Mostly like Ares, Ares was mad for other things, but not for like the weird visions and stuff like that. And that, that kind of happens quite a lot where these characters that are called like crazy, simple, mad, it's not that they are those things. It's that, what they understand the rest of the people can't see because it's a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a code word. Yes. Meaning that look deeper reader. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Good point. And we know, and with George, people should already be on guard with that. Like, yeah, you're like, mm, there's probably more to this. That's, that's a good attitude to right. have in general. <laughs> it, it's like, um, what, the, what was the other one? Bookish. A Targaryen that's bookish is actually look, reading prophecy and magic. Mm-hmm. That's what yes. it almost always means. They're a nerd. one of us yeah one of us yes exactly and now so some more of these tropes and um related topics come up with the descriptions of her physically and this is where we start to see some of the mother and maiden and crone stuff just the beginnings of it there's more of it to come but here's another quote about how she's seen alice rivers was at least 40 years of age during the dance of the dragons that much is known mushroom makes her even older All agree that she looked younger than her years, but whether this was simple happenstance or achieved through her practice of the dark arts, men continue to dispute. Whatever her powers, it would seem Daemon Targaryen was immune to them, for little is heard of this supposed sorceress whilst the prince held Harrenhal. 
Uh, and Shea has got some art of Amond and Alice here on uh, mm-hmm. the back of Vagar. By the lovely Naomi Makes Art. Yes, Naomi Makes Art. Very talented, very skilled. This is a re- great Very prolific, piece. too. Very prolific. You yeah. can see uh, Alice's pregnancy here, too, which is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. So, And as it happens, if she's over 40 years of age, it isn't usual to have a child of that age, but certainly not impossible. That happens, even back then. Back then. But even yeah. now, in, in equivalent medieval times, it's possible for it to happen. So it doesn't necessarily speak to magic, but it is a little suspicious. Yeah, I agree. That's, uh, yeah, well said. Now, as far as her her looks and background, you touched on a little of this already, Matt, but let's let's fill out the rest of this. And um, you wrote in the, we, we have it written in the document here, Matt talks for 45 minutes straight, then passes out. But <laughs> try to keep it a little shorter than that. <laughs> Just starts reading my own essay that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it to a video. Uh, but one thing about the, that's important about Alice Rivers, particularly as a strong, is that she does get the, the traditional like first men looks. She has the long flowing black hair. She's not particularly noted as like a great beauty. And that's one of the things that confuses quite a lot of characters. They're like, what is Eamon doing? Why does he care? Why is he in love with this woman so much? But then you look at the other strongs and that that seems to have happened too. like Lucamore and Breakbones were not like super handsome men but luca moore had three different wives 16 children Breakbones ended up basically married to the realm's delight in rhaenyra targaryen one of the most beautiful women in those kingdoms and again with like liana stark and rhaegar there's it seems to be there's something like kind of ancient and primal about them that seems to attract people sometimes mm. and Good point. then we look at um the way she's described and the, like the sigil of how strong in their name, it really sh- uh, displays their connections to nature. They literally wear the river on their chest. And as we were talking about their magical, their life, their uh, important part of how civilizations start and they're walking around with it. So it's a, it should, it really shows a deep connection of her to the children of the forest and the old gods and a different way of life. And that's kind of what really stands out in fire and blood is she is so different from everyone else we're seeing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the macers that were writing it would, would sort of gloss over these weird characters like Tyana the tower gets some stuff and it's like, okay, we're just going to move past that. But Alice, clearly fascinated the the fake writer that was writing about her and it's because of all these weird first men old god things it's like she's a living embodiment of like a weirwood basically <laughs> and you know I, I i love this the way they wrote this part here like oh damon must have been immune to her powers like how, so many assumptions there <laughs> one that she was trying to get him two that he you know that that she would even have this kind of power and two that yeah like maybe he just wasn't into her i don't know <laughs> yeah it's really interesting we're going to talk about this in, in a little second when we get to the witch archetype section but um it's it's interesting how you usually see witches in these three different forms you know she's either the seductive enchanting witch or um the this evil stepmother witch or the crone witch with a prophecy and uh alice rivers is kind of like a combination of all three at times um not so much the evil stepmother one but she is a mother Mm -hmm. uh but she possesses qualities of the seductive witch and the crone witch who tells prophecies and i think it's that She's seductive, not because of her beauty, but because of her power Yes, to, you Definitely. know, just that sheer power. And that's something that everybody wants. It's like she's a mysterious dark forest, like 
walking around basically yeah like the, like the wolves would almost if it was like a person yeah i think that is like what that. um Amond, later when Amond and cole are rumored to have fought over her that's kind of what was in my mind too and not only her power but the fact that both of those guys even though Kristen cole's a an adult man he's in the king's guard from pretty young so neither of those two have much experience with women you know that's always mm -hmm. which whereas damon did so i think that you know like the real world like who's more likely to be besotted, you know, because it's like their first real relationship or something like that. And then you factor in the power and that just turns it up to 10 or 11 like George loves to do. So it's just it's 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 a very not standard, but kind of the way George likes to build things. He gives real grounding, but then he uses the magic and the rumor and the all this to, to dial it up to another level. So it's great. Mm -hmm. I love it. Um, and of course, like we said earlier, there's there's Shiera and Melisandre and Danelle Lawson, all of whom look younger than their age, all of whom, in Melisandre's case, they don't say bathe in blood, but we have more proof of her actually being younger <laughs> than she is than the other two, who it's just rumors. And interestingly, Danelle is Lady of Harrenhal until about, you know, it's about 230-ish, which is almost 100 years later. So there's a little, like, a, maybe you get once a century, you get like a <laughs> witch at Harrenhal or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about the twi triple witch archetypes. This was the part of your essay that really got me going that really like I was already really enjoying it. But when I saw this and you had you in her essay, she lists all the archetypes and then sort of does a checkbox next to which characters in a song of ice and fire kind of line up with that. And I had the same realization. I saw that. I was like, wait, doesn't Alice check off all three of these? That's so cool. She's mm -hmm. everything. And then later a uh, Joe, you know, with Joe talking about all these things that she has to do with all the different magic disciplines and all the different uh, bloodlines. It, it, this is why I have Blood Raven vibes from her because she has oh, sure. she's just so many things at once. But anyway, please explain this this triple. Sure, absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. Um, well, it's definitely not my idea about witches having these three sub archetypes. It goes back way, way back, thousands of years to Greek mythology and Hecate, the um, triple form goddess who could assume the form of a maiden, a mother, or a crone, and um, had all these other uh she, she had she, she was also like the goddess of uh, the underworld and the heavens and the earth so there, there's a lot of power in the number three and especially when we talk about it in terms of a witch archetype that number three you know it's it represents the different phases of a woman's life uh youth motherhood or middle age and then old age or the crone and those are the three female aspects that we see in the faith of the seven what a coincidence right um it was absolutely <laughs> intentional uh on george r. r martin's part but when we consider the witch characters in westeros it's really interesting to consider the witch archetype in greater literature in uh, greek and roman myth like i mentioned and fairy tales shakespeare uh, there's all this groundwork in, in literature that um, tells us what makes a witch a witch and why she's important when she appears in a story. This is, these are things I talk about uh, in depth in my essay in Triple Aspect, which is of Macbeth and A Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, I take kind of a Shakespearean lens approach to the witches in A Song of Ice and Fire and uh, look at the parallels between mostly the witch archetypes in uh, Macbeth and mm. um, Aswath. But we can even just isolate the witch, the witch characters that we see in Aswath and have a huge conversation about all the things that they represent and 
the different sub archetypes and into which they manifest the subversion of the maiden, the mother and the crone. So I, I keep talking about this. So let me explain it. So basically the witch maiden subverts the beauty and charm of the normal maiden into seduction and enchantment because we have all these witches in um, literature that, like I mentioned, that are seductive and uh, enticing with their beauty. And uh, there's Melisandre, who's a perfect example of that. And um, let's see. And Alice Rivers, although it's somewhat different because her age is kind of to be determined. Yeah, it's a wide range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then we have the mother witch, who the mother is normally a very nurturing figure in, you know, in literature, in the faith of the seven. And the mother witch subverts those nurturing qualities so that she is this sort of evil, poisonous stepmother kind of character. I think that uh, Lady Stoneheart is a perfect example of that. Um, we already have a lot of Catalan haters in the fandom, but <laughs> I'm in the Catalan. No none of us are. Yeah. None of us are. None of us are haters here. <laughs> no, no, but it's interesting to think about why, you know, because they do see her in that sort of evil stepmother sort of figure to John, mm -hmm. and then when she becomes Lady Stoneheart, it's like validating of uh, that point of view, and. Cersei, to a certain extent, also is like a mother witch to Sansa. And um, that's that's really interesting to uh, mm. take that perspective on her. Um, you know, Pat Spinagle wrote a great essay on Cersei's possible um, uh, view as a witch, like some of these characters in Fire and Blood, some of these female characters in Fire and Blood are rumored to be witches. He has a lot to say about Cersei as a witch. <laughs> so she, check that out on Watchers on the Wall. But the other sub archetype that we have is the crone witch. And that's the one that I think most of us are most familiar with. She's the one with all the prophetic power. The wisdom, the typical wisdom of the crone that, you know, you trust, you go to the old lady, the old man type character for the good advice um, that's never wrong. But the crone witch gives you these prophecies that you think you know what's going to happen, but it doesn't exactly turn out that way. Like yeah. Miri Mazdur and Melisandre is also a bit crone witch too. She embodies both the uh, maiden witch and the crone witch figure. Okay, so that's a lot of information to take in. Um, <laughs> but, so, so what does this all mean? You know, okay, so that's great. And it's great that we can sort all these characters. But what's it mean? I think that um, the purpose of this subversion in, in literature of this female archetype in myth and fairy tales, it, it's kind of changed over time. Maybe originally it might have been to alert people to the bad woman, you know, especially in fairy tales, you know, like the, the witch who, like in Han Hansel and Gretel, the witch who takes in Hansel and Gretel and promises them candy and ends up trying to cook them for dinner or something like that. Um, these, these fairy tales have like been trying to teach us about the, the badness of these women. But in fact, it's interesting to read some stories and find out the witch's perspective of things or to see the archetype flipped a little bit or 
to see that it's not so two dimensional. Mm. Um, the witch has actually become really important to women because of her power. There, you know, women didn't have a lot of power historically, and especially in medieval settings, like. A song that's, of ice and fire. That's a great segue, actually, because I wanted to I wanted to add something here that's been occurring to me while while we've been talking about this, which is that Alice, there's another theme in play with her that isn't really a woman, uh, isn't really a, a gender trope at all. It's just a power corrupts trope, which is you pointed mm-hmm. out how she's inverting the George is kind of inverting the witch mother trope by actually having her be a loving. She was a wet nurse. That was her mm-hmm. kind of upbringing. So she's not she's actually quite tender with children. But right. as we see by the time she becomes the quote-unquote witch queen, she's turned into kind of a, a, a vicious figure. She has maybe become something different. Maybe she's become corrupted by her own power, maybe being her association with Aemond, having the bearing the, the heir to the throne has changed her outlook. Uh, so I wonder if that's a big part of... Do you see that maybe happening mm-hmm. as well? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that that's a really interesting point. You know, it doesn't, there doesn't necessarily have to be a child involved, although it is like, you know, a big clue that this is a witch mother or a mother witch figure. But, you know, what about just the people that you hold power over? Those are kind of your children in a way, like Daenerys thinks of her people as her children. True. Yeah. There's also a cool thing that uh, George does where traditionally in the myths where these witches come from, like the Greek fates or the the Norse Norns, as they're known, they're usually not part of things. It, it was really um, people like Shakespeare and others took these mythological figures and pulled them into real people, like with, uh, with mm. Macbeth, the three witches. And George really loves playing with that idea, taking that further, where in a, like a really ancient story, Alice Rivers would be like one of the fates. Like may, mm. maybe like all three may a Hecate figure. Instead, she's seizing the power for herself that they don't usually do that. They're, they're kind of like, what's the right term for this? They're like mm. underpinnings of the universe, basically. Like they don't have, they don't have choice. Right. They're, they're just manifestations of time that ha- and fate that has to happen. George wants them to be people instead. It's really mm. cool. Yeah, that's a great take. I never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, they're they're more removed. They're more distant from it, and the witches that we see in A Song of Ice and Fire, they they're much more interactive. Right. If if you ask the fates something, every time someone asks the fake some, the fates something in Greek myth, it goes horribly wrong for them. You never ask the fates <laughs> yeah, advice no, ever. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. There's, we're going to get into a little of that too because we're, we're in the second half of this episode. We're going to speculate a little bit on what some of the things she might have prophesied. That's when we know she gave these prophecies, but what they were. There's not very much detail on on her actual predictions, but I have a few guesses. We'll get to that later. Um, but I want to throw something else out here right now, which is thinking of her and this whole nurturing uh, element. It's said that she gathered like a lot of these broken men from the around her. You know, it was winter during, you know, the Dance of the Dragons had just happened. So the realm was shredded. And again, winter. So it's, just, uh, it's bad. Like the, the realm is in ba- a bad state. And so by bringing these people to Hall, she was kind of taking care of them. She was she was forming a new kingdom and, and bringing all these broken people together and and uh, giving them a place to live so they could survive the winter and, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a little of that in there as well. True. Good yeah, chat. it's never it's never exciting when you play the archetype, when you play the trope straight. Like, don't play it straight. Give it. <laughs> yeah. Make it a little bit spicy. <laughs> yep, that's George. We know that, right? So. Uh, oh yeah. Super chat from LML. Hey, buddy. By the way, if y'all missed his birthday stream on Sunday, San Rixian and others 
threw together um, an amazing stream that was super fun. So check that out if you get the chance, including photoshops and, and songs. Costumes. And costumes and stories. <laughs> Lots it was, of costumes. It was really something. This is a Lots very, of sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, one of the most uh, uh, unique live streams I've ever been a part of or ever seen. Forget the being part of it part. Just <laughs> any of it. So he says, very happy with all the witch talk. Joey McWizards and Shakes are wonderful guests. Well, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> that name has gone further than I ever thought. That was like a one-line joke. <laughs> Months later, it's still here. Joey McWizards. I love it. And uh, Matthias C. says, uh, Super Chat says, sorry, I'm a poor son of a witch. Mm. <laughs> you know, we appreciate the wordplay around here. Now, of course, as we've said here, uh, mentioned a couple times, this whole bathing in blood thing comes up. Now, this there's other non-literal bathing in bloods that come up as well, um, which is our one of our introductions to Alice Rivers, which is Amond, who hates the Strongs because, you know, they kind of usurped his family in his mind and one of them cut out his eye. And so, of course, when he captures a castle full of Strongs, it's kind of predictable that this happens. One by one, every man and boy with strong blood in his veins was dragged forth and put to death until the heat made of their heads stood three feet tall. Thus did the flower of House Strong, an ancient line of noble warriors boasting descent from the first men, come to an ignoble end in the ward at Harrenhal. No true-born Strong was spared, nor any bastard, save Alice Rivers. Though the wet nurse was twice his age, thrice if we put our trust in Mushroom, Prince Aemon had taken her into his bed as a prize of war soon after taking Harrenhal, seemingly preferring her to all the other women of the castle, including many pretty maids of his own years. Uh, so, so if we want to yeah. make this not fantastical maybe he just you know like we said before he was into the power thing yeah i mean i what it makes me think about is i mean obviously with the idea that she was a strong herself well maybe they didn't treat her that well she was a bastard she hated them she told them as much and she was like look i'm on board with you doing all of this and they <laughs> they, they, they uh, got along and chemistry and sparks started to fly i don't know yeah, but possible. otherwise maybe it points to she actually wasn't a strong bastard and that's why she wasn't killed oh that's possible yeah hmm joe you have some notes here uh, tell us what you think here I the thing I really liked about this scene when I read it through and then after I reread it for my uh, when I was researching my video is that this is probably what's happened to the strongs like over and over and over again, which is how many how often they produce bastards like they've probably been wiped out like a hundred times <laughs> officially. But then someone like Alice Rivers pops mm -hmm. back up, fills the place, still keeps the bloodline going mm -hmm. because the first men don't really have the same kind of understanding of primogeniture and um that, that, that largely came with the Andals. Mm -hmm. They had a very different understanding of what it meant to be the different class structures of bastards and trueborns. Like they had tons of bastards. The Lord's first Lord's first knight was specifically to produce lots of them. Yes. So the, the Macers think they were gone, but clearly Alice doesn't think they're gone. And she claimed what was lost by her brethren. That's good. Yeah. Well said. Um, Lauren, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, not not really, just except it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how, you know, she's she's like a really enticing woman, despite her old age. She has this great power and it's her old age. You know, her old age or, uh, I don't know. Yes. I, see, in my mind, when I was reading it, I did picture her as older. We, we You know, we kept like panning back to stories back and forth in Fire and Blood, and then we come back to Alice Rivers, and I'm like, oh my goodness, she's still around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so pleased because I want to know more about her. But yeah, it just speaks to her power as a woman. 
And to, to speaking to what you said, Joe, about the strong just keep coming back. Well, I mean, what oh, yeah. says a house that won't die like a literal walking dead man yeah. and Robert Strong? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's why that this is something I, I figured out while I was reading. It's like, that's why this makes sense that you could have a random huge guy show up and say he's a strong. And everyone's just kind of like, all right, this has happened many, many, many times. <laughs> Tons of strong bastards just show up and decide they're now trueborn and now they're the lords. Yep. That's that's basically why it makes sense to everybody at court. And if they have enough going for them, you know, that tends to work out, you know, like a, a popular bastard with an army at his, his or her back and has a lot more chance to move up in the world. Looks like a super chat from Sanrixian. She has no comment yet, though. She did it twice. Oh, well, thanks, <laughs> Sanrixian. Well, um, so we I don't know if she that. had a message for us, but I'll keep an eye out for that in the chat. I imagine it was something very witchy. <laughs> it's mysterious. It was an artistic yeah. comment of some kind. Uh, so this is next. The next phase here is we maybe Eamon and Alice have a little bit of time together, maybe off page, I guess we could call it. And soon after Kristen Cole's army arrives and Eamon and Cole kind of have maybe not a falling out, but they don't agree on what to do. So they kind of end up agreeing to disagree and just splitting. Eamon goes his way, does his thing. Cole goes his way. And I wonder if Alice Rivers was part of these discussions because they both seem to value her. And if she had revealed her foretelling abilities, well, if you're planning mm -hmm. a war, having someone who can see the future is pretty useful. Absolutely. Definitely agree with that. And I wonder if this didn't burn Eamon later. This is kind of what I was talking about with the prophecies, right? He boasts about how she sees Damon in all these, uh, you know, in a storm cloud and in the fires that we cooked our dinner and in the water <laughs> and all these in the clear blue lake or whatever. Song of Ice and Fire is full of people misinterpreting prophecies. You wonder if either Alice and or Eamon, I guess it would be both of them, expected him to defeat Damon in this uh, big showdown that they have. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that there's um, a p potential for uh, more of that here? Or maybe there's something else going on? Um, Lauren, why don't you go first? Uh, I'm actually going to defer to Joe okay. first. It's been a little while, so I need a bit of a refresher. Okay, so it'd be like that thing where you let other people order while you decide what you want to order. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Joe, you go ahead. <laughs> so uh, the thing that I... Uh, paralleled to while I was reading this was sort of like maybe like a Tyana of the Tower or a Melisandre between Davos and Stannis kind of situation where hmm. Davos doesn't like Melisandre but he is enticed by her and she is trying to seduce him which may be kind of what's going on with Cole from a different perspective you could maybe see Davos and Stannis fighting over Melisandre even though internally we know Davos isn't actually so that could be kind of what's going on but I I especially like the idea of Tyanna and Magor versus Aemond and uh, <laughs> what was that? That was uh, Punching me hitting the microphone. The microphone. Okay. I was just like, God, this just makes me so mad. I just got to destroy our microphone. Just got to punch stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was it. How Magor of you. <laughs> but but yeah, like Tyanna is, although she enabled some of Magor's worst parts of his personality and other, in other parts, he was like, his best uh, counselor and sort of kind of held it together after Versenia died, but not really, but she did like the best job. And that's sort of what we see um, Alice doing here for Eamon because he's really an out of control asshole, like <laughs> Magor style. Yeah. And she sort of takes the role of like being 
like a, a weird, creepy mm-hmm. mother figure that he never kind of had. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's weird and creepy because it's Aemon and it's the Targaryens. And, yeah. that's and, it, and it never do. goes right, does it? It's, no. it's interesting how we have these pairings of these men who desire power with these powerful and promising women and this whole wish fulfillment thing. It just doesn't really work out for them. Nope. <laughs> Tiana poisoning all the um or well what she whatever she actually did to hurt Magor, it's probably the same sort of thing that we we're gonna talk about later, but probably what Alice was doing to Aemon, helping him in a way that helps her more. Hmm. So we have maybe some some other endgame symbolism here that I took note of. Uh maybe major symbolism. We have a knight and a sapphire-eyed villain fighting over a magical woman with special bloodlines, which is some to me that's like Prince that was promised, like the pact vibes, maybe, um, maybe a stretch, but it made me think of that. Uh, so there's something maybe going on there. But um, Lauren, you have some notes here on the uh, the the maiden witch and the crone witch, and how that is. Uh, well, you the way you write it, maybe a symbolic for a particular crisis that's going on in the story. Right, you explain right. this. I'm not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. Um, I- yeah, something I wanted to um, mention as well while we're, we're while we're talking about these pairings of witches and men who are desiring power is it's interesting to think about the specific witch qualities that these women have in a psychoanalytical light. Um, a lot of times when we analyze literature, you can tie in a lot of psychoanalysis, like what the character really wants and what's happening with um, the character's psychology at the time. So Alice is like enticing like the maiden witch and has all these prophetic powers like the crone witch. And in my, in my essay, I talk a little bit about how we can see those witch archetypes, sub-archetypes as representing a crisis for characters that they're tied with in the story. For example, the maiden witch can be seen to symbolize a crisis of passion versus dispassion. Like, you know, what side do I choose? Should I do this? Should I do that? Um, In the main series, we see that a lot with Stannis and Melisandre and um, him choosing what's more more important and um, choosing to use the magical prophecies to further his um, his battles. And then the crone witch symbolizes a crisis of knowledge versus uncertainty. The crone witch is the one with the prophetic powers that we're not quite sure we can believe or that we can interpret really well because this is the human realm down here trying to interpret, you know, the prophecies. And I think that's exactly what's going on with Westeros at this point in the story, not just these characters, is is that crisis of uh, passion versus dispassion, choosing one side or another, over another, and knowledge and uncertainty. It's just a big mess. And I think that these witches are, a witch like Alice Rivers is a really good kind of character anchor for all of that hmm. simmering. So, cauldron. If you, so if you think that she shows the crisis, um, the maiden witch shows the passion versus dispassion and crone witch is knowledge versus uncertainty. What would be the central dichotomy of the mother witch? Not um, exactly what we're talking about there, but I was curious right, what your perspective right. was on that. It's, oh gosh. You know what? 
I need to. Okay. Goes to read <laughs> <own> <laughs> what I wrote in my essay because I actually didn't write this in the notes. This is, okay. this is funny. When, when Aziz asked me to do this last night, last um, night. <laughs> I was like, oh crap, I need to read my essay and see exactly <laughs> I said. You do that so, all the time. We go back to our old episodes. Let's listen to this thing from four years oh, ago. Yeah. Well, we've got something yeah. we can talk about for just a second. Yeah, yeah. Later. No, no, no. Oh, you got, got it? it. I've okay. got it. I've got it. Yeah. The mother witch causes a crisis of attachment versus independence, for oh, example. Okay. Um, oh. And I was talking about Cersei as a mother witch at this point in the essay and Sansa coming into her own after surviving Cersei. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when we see characters attached to the mother witch figure mm-hmm. after they come away from that mother witch figure, like, you know, Cinderella and her evil stepmother, they experience this uh, point of independence in their arc. So oh, that's I, I don't I, I mean, Cinderella in an arc. I'm, I'm not sure how far. <laughs> you can go there. Cinderella arc. Sure. Cinderella arc. Just one word, yeah. Um, that's a great take. I wonder, too, about... Well, maybe speak just for a second on how this is kind of a double-leveled thing here with Cersei sort of being a, a, a witchish figure to Sansa a bit. But she was impacted by a real witch as far mm-hmm. as that goes with Maggie Absolutely, the Frog yeah. who is telling her that a younger more beautiful queen will cast her aside so Cersei's sitting there looking at Sansa like oh this is a very beautiful young girl who's married to my son she's going right. to become queen so how can she not recognize that this is the prophecy um, right it's almost like she's caught in this cycle that she can't break out of but she kind of started it by going for that knowledge in the first place getting that prophecy and it's, yeah, it's royally fucked her up for her life. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, too. It's a crone warning the mother about a maiden. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. George is, see, this to me, this is, when, when I read the triple witch thing, and I was like, wow, George just kind of threw that in there. It, it, it's to me, yeah. it's like... Asking an amazing, since I have a background in guitar, this is why I think of it this way. It's like a, some, it's like you ask a really, really, really amazing guitarist to just rip off a guitar solo. He can just do it. It's like, like really amazing. <laughs> like, and anyone will be impressed by that, just about. But a guitarist will be a little more impressed by it because they know exactly, maybe have a better sense of just how hard it is to learn to do that. And they can break it down mm. and analyze the notes and all that stuff that's happening. George just made this amazing right. sort of literary funky thing. I don't even know what to call it. Just <laughs> throw it into this history book. It's To me, it's like, ah, I'm going to make a guitar solo here. I'm going right. to show everybody how awesome literary I Literary analysis is incredible. I mean, a lot of times when you're reading a book and you can't quite explain what in the story doesn't work for you, um, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're just, the author just isn't thinking as hard and incorporating as much of these archetypes and inverting them, subverting them, whatever you do. Yeah. But George does. He knows his mythology. He knows his Shakespeare and gosh, a whole bunch of other stuff. It's just, it's amazing how much influence, how much literary influence goes into a song of ice and fire. It's like, to me, one of the ways I want to think about it is everyone's subconscious is very active when they're reading in ways we don't know it. And a really good author not only knows this, but knows how to speak to your subconscious as well as your active mind. It's it's your literary subconscious. I also think it speaks to like how he couldn't write this magnum opus until he was older and like, and he's, he's had the reading. He's had, he, he can do that. Yeah, like I don't think he could have written anything near with this much depth That's and references point. and stuff like that. Because these things are in his head. That's why they're easy for him. It's like, oh, did you the guitar analogy again? It's like, oh, we've played a million guitar solos. Guitar solos are easy. So he's just thought about these things over and over and over for decades. And so they, they kind of come like second nature. 
Well, yeah, because like uh, he read Shakespeare a lot when he was younger. He also read Lord of the Rings and Lovecraft as like a young teen. So he's been turning <laughs> these things over in his head for like 40 years. No, like 50 years by the time right. he started. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, a great point too. Sure. Uh, super chat from LML. Amond has a, for 666, of course. Amond has a star sapphire in his eye, like the rider of the ice dragon, and compares to Euron, one blue eye. He has night black armor, night king type. Yeah, this is exactly and what I meant. Right by now the, on the screen, I have some art by Naomi Makes Art oh, cool. um, that is of Amond, one eye. With exactly what yeah, he's talking about, and the black armor. Very perfect. So. Right on the nose. And this is kind of what I was getting at with the princess that was promised, packed stuff. Endgame mm-hmm. stuff, maybe an ice dragon fighting, I would assume, Daenerys on on Drogon. Maybe that's a thing that happens near the end of the whole series. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of potential there. And so with Aemon having the star sapphire is just really poignant. Plus Dark Sister driven through his eye. I think that's uh, that's pretty huge. Not only that, we have Kristen Cole. After he leaves Aemond, he does this this bizarre march where he marches through these scenes of dead people, which to me is just, hello, uh, that's the army of the dead foreshadowing in the Riverlands. Does, does anyone else feel the same way or, or different? Definitely. I got I got a lot of Night's Queen vibes from Alice in particular, mm-hmm. like the she's not literally a corpse queen that we're not really sure what that means if it means the the knight's queen was actually a corpse or she was the queen of corpses but everywhere around Harrenhal like you're saying it's like a forest of dead people that everyone's walking through the amount of death she rains down is pretty impressive and kind of evil yeah i'm not sure it, it depends <laughs> on <that perspective. laughs> yeah and aemon is actually raining down death with his dragon all throughout the riverlands while she's sitting there kind of holding the fort i suppose um i guess we hear that sabbath Frey comes and takes heron hall but then aemon yeah, comes back Sabatha. and sabbatha has to hide in the privy <laughs> while dragon fire reigns around that's what heron should have done he should have thought of hiding in a privy mm. hmm Silly man. So, uh, yeah. Do you, Lauren? Do you have any takes on this on this Night Queen vibe stuff, um, or are the butchers ball? Um, no, not exactly. Actually, guys, I do have to duck out now. Okay, it so is, we're at that yes. point. Uh, okay. <laughs> it is perfect timing because I'm going to let you guys take it from here, and um, I'll be excited to catch up with it later. I actually have an orchestra rehearsal to go. To. Oh, awesome! Well, thank you very cool, much though. for coming. Your yes. takes were awesome. I so hope nice we... to have you on. We'll definitely have her on again. Yes, so come yes. Uh, absolutely. You definitely so should. Lauren's yes, the best. Please give now everyone... you're leaving us with just Matt the Gathering. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the trolling came. Now I actually have to talk. I was enjoying listening to her monologue. Yeah. Was, I love talking. I love listening. You're, you're to not off the hook stuff. anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's well, all please, you. Well, please remind everybody where to find you again uh, on Twitter and on your blog and all that, and we'll say adios. Right. You can find me at Shakes of Thrones on Twitter. And on my blog, you can find me at, at shakespeareofthrones.com. Awesome. Well, please, everybody, check that out. Read the essay. It, it was awesome for me to read. And I hope we've... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm also on YouTube. I also have a Shakespeare of Thrones. Are you going to be at Con of Thrones this year? I am. Then oh. We'll see you there, too. I meant to and ask I you that. I forgot. And, oh, you're going to be at Ice and Fire. Oh. I didn't realize you were at Ice and Fire Con. Oh, so we're going to be seeing you in about... Uh, a little over a month, month? Like six weeks. Yeah, yeah. that's very awesome. Cool. We get to watch Game of Thrones. Yay. Together. Very cool. Yay. Yeah, that's very cool. cool. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. Thanks again for coming. This was awesome. And uh, I, on uh, behalf of everybody, we'll uh, see you next time. All, All right. right. See you. Thanks for having me on again. Okay. Bye. All right. So that's a good spot to do our, our mid roll shout out real quick mm-hmm. here. Thingamajig um, and. Yeah. Uh, For everyone to clear out because she's gone. Yeah, everyone's going to leave now. Now we've just got Matt the Gathering here. (laughs) It'll be the opposite of people gathering. 
Okay, people play magic, Ashea. Get over yourself. <laughs> Quite a few. It's tra- what is I, it like? My, this house right here is a big Magic the Gathering house, as it happens. Oh, Sean, Sean's job, he's the manager at a game store for Magic the Gathering. Yeah, Sean. Um, I definitely don't have a deck sitting right next to me oh, with well, a skull on it. That's not a thing. <laughs> yeah, Sean works for Super Games, Inc. Free shout out for them there. They are yeah. like the okay. second or third largest online retailer of Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! So he's... Yeah. Yeah. That's why our, we get. Our, that's our why we get so little of Sean on the sh- on the show. Actually, is because he is so busy. He's a workaholic. We get so many packages yeah. of magic cards in our mailbox for Sean. I need to hit up Sean then. Yeah, yeah you I literally, do. I literally have a deck that is nothing but trees, and one of them looks like a weirwood. Definitely <laughs> <It's laughs> hit up Sean. He'll like that. He'll he like Okay, so thanks to our Blood Rider patrons, Vorsaki, wielder of a Valyrian steel arak with a dragonbone hilt, uh, Kohal Koei, called Sun Piercer, wielder of a dragonbone bow. Kokavo the Tamer, wielder of the Wildfire Whip Gehenna. And also shout outs to our northern champions. Let's take care of them today. Jay Wilson Winters King, Sir Stephen the Hammer of oh, the North. A fire outside in someone's car. Whoa. Oh, anyway, it's our roommate. I don't know. I just see clearly like a fire. I'm going to get up. No harm, no foul. You continue reading this. <laughs> Sir Stephen the Hammer of the North, Winters King, Lord of the First Men, Lady Air Ardross, Mother of Wolves. Wielder of the Valyrian Steel, Claymore Manticore. Sir Brian the Returned is Knight of the Last House, Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Red Song. Sir Kobe of House Stonesmith, Words are Wind, Deeds are Stone. Lady Cat Jones of the Big Pond is Wielder of the Valyrian Steel Blade, Ginger's Honor. Jake Snow, aka Jacob Ice Eyes, is the Bastard of the Last River. Lord Darren of House Rambler, motto, The Last Hunt is Ceaseless. Lady Bobby of House Mitchell, and last but not least, Bullweir the Purple of Heavenly Mythhead House Taurus. So is our house about to burn down? Uh, no, Bill, our roommate has like a canister like on top of his engine that's full of fire. And it's not his what? engine on fire. I don't know. He's been working on his car. A can of fire. I can a see why that might fire. be useful. But is it dragon uh, fire or wildfire? I don't know. But it's not his actual engine that's on fire. But he does have the can of fire on top. I don't know. I, maybe someone who knows cars knows it's, it's, this is the thing. A can of fire is, is a, related to a can of whoop ass, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very similar thing. Oh. Oh my god <laughs> i hope it's not thermite i heard i hope he's not burning through his engine <laughs> so another f- uh, important factor here is is the child of aemond and alice um, before we get to aemond's fight with damon let's talk about this kid that he leaves behind it's kind of easy to miss it this is a child of ice and fire um <laughs> this is a Aemond is, of course, a, a Targaryen, and uh, Alice Rivers, if she has strong blood, which is likely. By the way, she's from the Riverlands, and there's then intermarriage. All you sorts know, of first it, man it blood. certainly seems like she, yeah, that seems very clear. And there's Especially some, by this time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some theories that she's maybe descended from, she's got some Blackwood blood, or, you know, there's a lot of possibilities for where her heritage could come from, but she's being from that general area, the odds of first men blood are nearly automatic. That's that's a pretty interesting thing to deal with her. Now, Joe, uh, what do you think about her child? Matt not- the Gathering, okay? <laughs> understand Rixian's memory by calling him by what she wants us to call him. Is that what Super Chats were for? Yeah, it was for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was exactly that. So we've been that. paid to call you we've that. We've been paid well, off, definitely, yeah. Yeah, we've been twice. paid to call you, you, you me Joe twice. the Gathering. So I was like waiting. I was like, I need to do this organically. Ready to pounce. Okay, JTG. <laughs> Tell us what you think. <laughs> Um, well, there's a what you're talking about. The ice and fire is pretty interesting, especially um, 
with the connections to the first men, like the the Starks likely marrying down to the Blackwoods at some point, if she is a Blackwood, then that would make sense. Kind of like how Bloodraven is much in the same way. Like you're talking about how she seems Bloodraven-ish. Well, yeah, they might have the same background, yeah. especially because um, House Blackwood is actually fairly close to Harrenhal. They, it's right along the Trident itself down the Red Fork, I think, and not that far overland. So like, it's very possible that even if Alice is a strong bastard, definitely could be a Blackwood too. She's probably a little bit of everything with the way the, the strongs <laughs> operate. Yeah. Um, the thing I found really interesting about the quote about her kid is that um, at first, Eamon call. I mean, first Alice says it's Eamon's bastard, but later she changes it and says, no, it's his trueborn son, heir to the, to the seven <laughs> kingdoms. Like, so did they get married? Did yeah. they get married in front of a heart tree? Mm. What's going on here? There's certainly a heart tree at Harrenhal, so we know it's it's that creepy multiple with the one with Damon slashed up multiple times. It has like a really like mm. a face of horror that Arya notices when she's there. So though the tree was probably like, "What are y'all doing? <laughs> Just leave me alone, guys." <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? I do think you're right, though. I think that indicates that they got married. Uh, I mean, she could just be lying. It's entirely possible. Totally could be lying. But, you know, if she's claiming it, then I don't know. There's no way to double check it. And the other cool thing about it is that if they actually did get married, this is the thing that has happened many times before in the story. Yeah. Uh, we get Jace Valarion, uh, Secret Strong who supposedly married Sarah Snow and maybe got her pregnant. We have Rhaegar and Lyanna, another example of that kind of thing. And this yeah. is a Baratheon, uh, a Baratheon involved here too. We have a Targaryen uh, who it's kind of inverted instead of the Targaryen, mm-hmm. instead of the Stark running off with the Targaryen, we have the Targaryen running off, running away from the Baratheon marriage. Cause Aemon right. was supposed to marry one of the, of, of Boros's daughters, you know, famously I can marry one. And, and J- Lucerius was not free to marry one of them. That obviously was pretty huge. So, uh, but there's another little factor you discovered here amidst the language, uh, right? With with the naming conventions of certain families. Uh, I think some people know this one already. I know you're going to go into more, you're going to go into more detail of this in your videos. Mm-hmm. We're not going to spoil the whole game here, but just tell us the basics of the origin of these names here, Stark and, and Strong and all that. Oh, yeah. So... This is something I did not come up with. This has been noticed in the fandom before, particularly from our uh, our friends that know German. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Stark in German translate literally as strong. And it, um, I actually went on a little quest to figure out um, what happened during the translation, because when Robert Strong and Luca Moore the Lusty show up in A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, they're not called Stark because they would be in the translation. Instead, they changed to craft, which means... Uh, power instead of strong so mm-hmm. it's not only was it's like he's messing with his own translator just like <laughs> oh you guys figure out what you're going to do with this but it, it, it's like a sneaky way of showing a connection between the two families in the north and the south I, I have a i have a lot more connections that are really cool but that's that's like the basic level one that these families are kind of like maybe like the forks of the river the forks of the river trident one went north one stayed in the riverlands another one went south because Especially with uh, when you look at this, this is going to be a bad way to say it, the spray of Lucamore. Thinking, <laughs> thinking about that happening for thousands of years. Yeah, the, the, they would be everywhere and they would and their names are so simple. There is an interview where George was asked to give examples of classic first men names. And this is while he was writing Fire and Blood, I believe, on the timing of it. In the past, he's normally said like, you know, like Stark and then a few others. But this time he said Stark, Strong and Mud. So mm-hmm. in his mind, those are the base level, str- like first men names, mm-hmm. drawing an instant connection between them. 
Which yeah. tells you just how old they are too. We talked about how they're they're probably really ancient, but we're talking like beginning, like one of the first houses. Oh, yeah, yeah like, like super... the green old, mm-hmm. like first men coming over the arm of Dorne, like actual the first men. As you can tell that especially from their sigil. It's so simple compared <laughs> to the rest yeah. of the sigils we see. It's like it's them and House Massey that have like the two simplest sigils. Oh yeah, the they have the little house. the triple circle. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the Strongs have the river, but the Masseys have the same color scheme and the same background, but it's going circular instead. Right, right. Mm, so, that's cool. Well, this is a good reason to check out Joe's video on House Strong because there's a lot more of this. This is we <laughs> this is uh, only a little part of it. There's a more name stuff, more uh, more meta, and just all around good analysis. But Aziz has already read it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I got to read the document. I obviously couldn't watch the video because it's not out yet. But yeah, I got a, I got a preview and it was very good so aren't you special geez don't brag or anything hang on (laughs) (laughs) so we have um let's talk about the showdown um between the two this is uh we talked about a little bit but let's talk about the result of it and some of the other implications um interesting quote here the i want to get the exact text uh who told you where to find me Damon says, uh, my lady, Eamon answered. She saw you in a storm cloud, in a mountain pool at dusk, in the fire we lit to cook our suppers. She sees much and more, my Alice. Now, this is part of what we were getting at earlier, where she seems to be like a, in, in the blood raven vein of things, where she seems to be involved in multiple magic disciplines, yeah. because Melisandre can gaze into the flames. But who else has ever looked into a storm cloud for prophecy or a mountain pool at dusk? I don't know that. Do we have any other examples of that? Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting question. I can't think of anyone in particular that you that we know of them looking into other, you know, the other elements, basically, because yeah. it gets that's what it gets into there. You know, the whole, you know, ice, fire, you know, water, Woods, and, which kind and, of natural and earth, you know, because yeah. like we see the Roinar mm. with their water magic. So like we, we clearly it, it, we've been led to believe that there is a water specific magic yeah like, yeah, just like then that there is an ice more ice specific one and a more fire specific one we don't see as much of like an earth you know um as it so happens the children themselves it's one of the children themselves i suppose but um but alice seems to be tapping into multiple of these is is what it seems yeah yeah that's pretty cool um it's it's also when you hear blood raven talk to bran and describing like what his powers will be like you get much of the same imagery where it's like you will fly through the sky you will like touch stones you will go underneath rivers and all that stuff it seems I, like she's doing the same stuff i guess the earth is kind, kind of really is the weirwood trees as well when i think yeah. about it like you were saying the children of the forest but like that is specifically like they're looking through um, in a different way, but looking through the earth and and plants and whatnot to to see things. That's a really good point. Plus, there's some additional evidence here. You know, we all know George loves wordplay. Well, he multiple times, I think it's at least twice, he uses the phrase "root out," yes. referring to getting her out of Heron Hall. deep, my friend. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, when I saw, I was like, "Oh, roots out, eh?" Yeah. So cause of course, we're always on guard reading his past. We've already got like a dude with a sapphire eye and the god's eye. And I was like, "All right, we got to be really careful looking at this stuff." George is this is this is uh, fertile ground for theories and prophecies and and, and foreshadowing. And was just thinking, there's also from the spoilers for Winds of Winter, the R.E.N. chapter, when they go into the Children of the Forest Cave, and they have all those faces carved from stone, like mm. the faceless men, like copied that. Yeah. So maybe the children actually can see through rock. They carve a face in it like they can with the trees. So um, they have their duel over the God's eye. And as we alluded to earlier, we wonder if Alice knew this would happen or if she saw the prophecy wrong. One of my favorite two of my I have two really fun theory ideas uh, that are, you know, just kind of out there. Uh, I don't have super 
level of evidence for these, but I, but they came to mind. One is that she saw she mistakenly saw this wrong, either because she well, later we're going to see that she has quote a dragon, and there's some. A lot of the theories are that she doesn't really have a dragon. She has a glamour dragon and that the glamour might be built from Caraxes' body because we know Caraxes crawled out of the god's eye after and died on the mm-hmm. shore, not in the lake. So she would have, you know, that's one of the things we hear is necessary for um, to have parts of the body to, to make the, the illusion more authentic. So it'd be really funny if she saw her own fake dragon in a vision and mm-hmm. was fooled by that. <laughs> but I think a better idea is that she may have, in, in long with, this is a, a line of thinking that you've really taught me to do, uh, uh, Joe the Gathering, <laughs> which is, uh, which is um, to think about these Targaryen dreams as foreshadowing for Daenerys. Like they see all the, like Arian and Ares, you taught me that their madness may have come from seeing Daenerys in their visions and they thought it was themselves. So they were trying to jump into a pyre or become, you know, do this stuff to become a dragon, which is really what happened to her. So along those same lines, maybe Alice saw a vision of two dragons fighting over the god's eye, but it's really like Night King and Daenerys instead of of uh, Daemon and Aemond. So she just saw the wrong thing. So something along those lines. Does that does that make any sense to you or do you have anything to add to that? That makes a lot of sense. It could. It doesn't even have to be. Although it's most likely the story will end, or at least the war will end near the God's Eye and the Trident. That seems to be well foreshadowed. But it could be like if we're talking about the books, if Fagon could actually mount a dragon and he fights Daenerys over King's Landing, that would be a similar scene too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Aemon's flying around ravaging the Riverlands. It gives me Night King ravaging whatever vibes. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see that happening. But yeah, um, Matt the Gathering there does raise an interesting question as well coming up here. Just something that I was thinking about myself, which is what is Alice's actual emotional attachment to these people? Mm. You know, because like maybe we like we can maybe we think, oh, she grieved and she was sad and she mis you know, misinterpreted this prophecy. But for all we really well know, she's looking out for number one herself and she wasn't into him like yeah. that and didn't care and knew the prophecy. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting thing that we don't we just don't know an answer to really. That's an interesting point because somehow she like we pointed out earlier, you, you said yourself there's an, the pot, the way she may have survived the the purging of all the strong. Yeah, it just shows that she's like, you know, this, pushing back against yeah, it. Yeah, like, self-serving and, you know, looks out for herself, I think, um, is, is clear at least. Yeah, some, I mean, because the idea that like, he hates strong bastards, so like, <laughs> you would think that... on the wife. Yeah, or, so... Or, or bed warmer. Yeah. Something thought, has to explain that, yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was, that was something that came up when I was reading where a lot of times when we're talking about the powerful women and the men that they use, it, it's sort of like a... Um, what is it? They're you. They're swinging the the power, the king or the prince like a sword, but it's actually them having their own goals. Like Melisandre is using Stannis in order to win the war for the Dawn. She doesn't particularly like super care about him. She just thinks he's the right answer, and so she is helping. Yeah, and that happens quite a lot in other stories. So we know Aemon loves Alice, clearly in love with her. I don't. I really don't think she loves him, and she may not love the Strongs like you were talking about. Like, um, this was something we were talking about. I said in like an essay in your DMs last night. (laughs) (laughs) The story is that Lionel Baratheon and Breakbones died in a mysterious fire. And it's talked about, it's like, oh, maybe it was Larys Strong, their brother, who did it in order to take Harrenhal, except Larys never actually used Harrenhal. It's like, oh, maybe it was um, Damon, like 
assassinating him. And it's like, no, Damon would show up on his dragon if he wanted to kill them. And then it's like, well, what about Alice? She's a bastard of House Strong. She's being treated like a servant. And then when you track what she's doing in the story, she she gets everything. Yeah. She, the rest of the Strongs all die. Eamon kills them all. She gets Harrenhal twice. She gets oh. a dragon. She gets <laughs> a prince. It's like, it's very likely that she's not trying to help Eamon at all. She's just using him to eliminate her enemies for her mm. and then take control, which is a very common idea, especially because Eamon is so hot headed and doesn't think things through. Yeah. It's very easy to manipulate him into doing that for you. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, um, so we've got um, a, 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 not a super type, but just a chat from LML that relates to this battle of the gods. I'm going to put some art up on the screen that I have to talk about. But LML notes, he says, should be noted, Caraxes is a red dragon, and there are no red dragons in the current story, so it's not likely to be Alice seeing Danny. Well, that makes me wonder what color does do they see in these visions? Yeah, well, like, not knowing Vagar is really I, and, well. I know that hear that as well, but I just mean like when she's looking in and seeing a vision. Is it in full Technicolor? Well, yeah, that's a question I have. Is that like, is it is it always like that? And does it depend too, on yeah. what she's looking into? Like, is she looking into a storm cloud? Or if they're pool? far enough away, you won't be able to see their colors. If it's yeah, just dragons like way up in the sky, they're just well. like silhouettes. But I, I think um, I that she, it might not be clear basically yeah. what colors they are, regardless of color or distance or something like that. So I just wanted they're to address that. Yeah, they're usually not that literal from what I saw from my Pyres and Blood research. Like in particular, I, the one I always go back to is that Daron the Drunkard saw a great black dragon dying over the Asherwood Meadow and it was Baylor Breakspear. Yeah. He's not a great black dragon. He's he just yeah. looks Dornish. Like yeah. well he had black armor. Black armor. Right. Yes. So, so it was literal not yeah. but, but, but so still Valar had them too. And it wasn't yeah. even his armor, it was Valar's. It was Valar's, yeah, you're right. So it was meant oh. it was meant literally. Like yeah. It was literally black, not figuratively yeah. a black dragon. Yeah. Um so the it's art like, uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Don't match. <laughs> the art I have on screen right now is um, from the Battle of the God's Eye, um, as you can see there. And you'll notice that I have two different shots. And this is my little plug for Audible. Um, when you when you buy the book Fire and Blood on Audible, you get a PDF of all the art in the book. But as it turns out, they didn't finish the art for the PDF that they released um, through Audible. So you can see there on the right is what was in the book. And on the left is what's released in Audible. So if you're interested in drafts or sketches of the artwork in the book, um, and or you just want a nice PDF to refer to of the artwork, um, you you might want to get the Audible copy, period. Um, I just wanted to put it there just to – I think it's interesting to see just how um, different it was from the first drafts that Doug Wheatley turned in to what was in the book. That's cool. That's a great, great catch there, the difference of the art. I think a lot of people will be interested in, in seeing that difference. Um, okay, let's move on to – the phase of which she's kind of in charge now uh, with Eamon's death and the war raging the way it did. We get this story where uh, Sir Tyland, who is the hooded hand, the, the guy who was doing a pretty good job, the, the horribly maimed guy doing a pretty good job of running the realm right after the, after the war ends, but he dies and he dies pretty soon after it. Uh, so he originally, originally sends about a hundred guys to take, including a Kingsguard, and then a few more uh, show up from Castle Derry. And they head to Harrenhal, and here we go with a quote. There were at least 600 souls within the castle, a third of them men of fighting age. When Sir Regis demanded to speak to their lord, a woman emerged to treat with him, with a child beside her. The witch queen of Harrenhal proved to be none other than Alice Rivers, the baseborn wet nurse who had been the prisoner and then the paramour of Prince Aemon de Targaryen and now claimed to be his widow. 
The boy was Amon's, she told the knight. His bastard, said Sir Regis. His true-born son and heir, Alice Rivers spat back, and the rightful king of Westeros. She commanded the knight to kneel before your king and swear him his sword. Sir Regis laughed at this, saying, I do not kneel to bastards, much less the baseborn whelp of a kinslayer and a milk cow. So we talked about the marriage part already, so we can <laughs> we can uh, we don't have to rehash that. But this is kind of she has all the sort of keys to establishing a dynasty here. She has she's the regent. She has a big castle. She has someone with important blood. Uh, it's like he's kind of the, he's the the main guy, but it's kind of like an heir because she's the regent. And uh, you know, queen is a nickname. She's not literally the queen, but she's effectively in charge because she's this queen, boy like snaps. Yeah. Yes, queen. <laughs> yes, queen. Yeah. This, That's what they should have said. <laughs> So this boy is very young, uh, so there's no way he would take over for a long time. Now, the mystery gets stranger here, and the timeline is also a little peculiar. Because not only does Alice Rivers' men drive these, this Kingsguard away, uh, there's some magical things that happen, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But the, the full length here... They the winter fever comes right after this defeat of the king's men, so they can't send another attack. And then there's the regency of Aegon the Third, where none of this is mentioned. So presumably, Alice Rivers is ruling Harrenhal at least until 136, if not longer. So that's at least a five year run. So she kind of has her own five year gap. <laughs> <laughs> and it is sort of a gap because we don't know anything that happens during that time other than it was winter. So at least we can kind of get an idea why they didn't try to take Heron Hall back. Uh, also, there were bigger problems like Recalio Rindoon and uh, what's his face? The Red Kraken. Um, all these other bigger problems than than Heron Hall. So I guess they were able to keep putting it off. Mm -hmm. um, but let's talk about the, some of the actual magic stuff here is and a, see if we can Is this a quote you want read? What's that? Is this a whole quote you want read? No, I'm not going to oh, read okay. all that. I, I have curious. this whole huge passage. It's like a long quote. quote. I was like, yeah, yeah. maybe I can take that for you, Aziz. I was like, you're just going to air yourself out there. <laughs> I'm going to read the last part of it, though. Okay, what's the last part? Okay, so here we go. I'll you can say, you. Uh, when Sarah Damon assured him that no one was going to laugh at him, the messenger said, don't come again unless you mean to bend your knees, she says. Any man who comes near her walls will die. There's power in them stones and the widow's woken it. Seven save us all. She has a dragon. I seen it. Yeah, so there's uh, some people theorize that maybe the dragon was this child, but this really doesn't. This sounds like a dragon. Like he's maybe it's not a real dragon, isn't it? Could be a glamour, but he's not speaking. He's speaking literally here. He saw a dragon. At first, I wasn't sure, but this, this passage makes it pretty clear. Uh, Joe, do you agree? And also, what do you think about this whole waking power from stones business? What's all that? <sighs> if she has a dragon, like she is just winning the story at this point. She will have, like, <laughs> she will have combined all the magic in the one, like something that took like maesters and sorcerers and Targaryen kings failed at. And Alice is just like, I got a dragon, no big deal. I don't even know where she got the egg, but whatever. <laughs> um, I was actually thinking about something while we were talking about this. I don't remember. Do you remember if when they find Aemon's body, he still has his star sapphire in his skull? They don't mention that. They only mention the the um, the sword, but they do say the sword is in his other eye. So it, it was in his real eye, not his sapphire. So it definitely could be there. So what if she retrieved the star sapphire and used that for the uh, glamour? I love that idea. I wondered. I actually have that written in our notes. I wonder if she oh. tried to recover Dark Sister. No, not the sapphire. I wondered if she okay. tried to recover Dark Sister. And I wondered if that's why Damon's body is missing. If she recovered Damon's body mm. and used that Targaryen blood for who knows what. Yeah. Uh, just a theory. But see, my because question is, like, I mean, if you're saying she used the sapphire for a glamour, do you think that would be the thing? Or do you think she would want to, like, actually, you think she would want, like, 
some actual dragon. Well, there's dragon bones. That's what scales. I mean. It's like yeah. maybe that's. I think that's maybe more likely. A, a little for, bit of A and B. Yeah, yeah all of She's got it all yeah. there. Yeah. True. Well, whatever ingredients she needs, she has a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the what she does here is almost shadow baby esque. If this is if this is a true story, yeah, that's, that's the problem with Fire and Blood. It's hard to take these things literally because the sources and exaggeration, which George built in on purpose. But it's also um, it's also super interesting the idea that she woke power in them stones. Now, Harrenhal's not old. No, Harrenhal's very new. It's one of the newest castles in Westeros. So, what is she waking? It's probably. Like, I mean, they probably harvested Harrenhal from other ruins just to get that many stones. They probably found yes. ruins all over the Riverlands, piled them up. So maybe it's like almost like a Lovecraftian thing where they like it's like a monument to death in the Riverlands. And she like wakened all the houses that have died throughout it. Some kind of crazy thing Whoa, like that's that. Cool. <laughs> but like, I mean, knowing George and how much he loves Lovecraft, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what he wants you to think. That's a great theory. I love that. And yeah, I also like how you you talked about the age of Harrenhal not being significant and how it's this things that it, maybe it's built out of. That's that's great. That's a great take. But um, but the stones could also be the weirwoods because Harrenhal was built with dozens and dozens of chopped down weirwood trees. And mm. it's speculated that they don't lose their power when they die, that maybe there's something left in them because of just like the nature of what they are. Yeah. So it may not be the rocks themselves. Maybe it's all the weirwoods and the Isle of Faces. Maybe it's like a nexus point, a hinge of the world, like the wall kind of yeah, place. That's exactly what I was wondering, whether this is a hinge yep. of the world. It would make sense because it's by the God's eye. I mean, if the children, like the green men, like they would pick a magical spot if that's a real mm-hmm. thing, which we have plenty Ley of lines. evidence that it is. Yeah, so um, it's also isolated on a lake. Like, yeah, so I, I feel like the God's eye is full of magic. It seems like it's not unlikely to be a hinge. The name of the messenger is lost to us, along with the name of the man who laughed. But someone did, one of Lord Derry's men. The messenger looked at him, stricken, then clutched at his throat and began to wheeze. Unable to draw breath, he was dead in moments. Supposedly, the imprints of a woman's fingers could be seen upon his skin, as if she had been in the room, choking him. So basically, she's Darth Vader. Yeah, that's a forced joke, but from even farther than, I don't even know if Vader yeah. could do it from that far away. Yeah, she's more powerful than Darth Vader. You heard it here first. Darth Rivers. <laughs> more powerful Ooh, than that's a name. <laughs> I hope to see that in the extended universe someday. Darth Rivers. That's a cool one. But yeah, like, that's a shadow baby, isn't it? If that's real? Yeah. How else yeah, do you yeah. do that? That's shadow-esque for sure. And so is she from a shy? Is she a shadow binder too? What's going on? There's another reference to shadow babies too. At least a, a oblique reference to shadow babies from her. At least one other. Maybe maybe you know of another. But there's uh, one of the rumors about her is that she had a lot of stillbirths. And one of the rumors about her is because she had so many stillbirths is that she's sacrificing these babies for power. And that definitely sounds like shadow babying to me mm-hmm. because you get you have the pregnancy and then this thing comes out and does your evil bidding, kills something. And then so would the idea be that she is not actually she hasn't had as many stillbirths that people are interpreting her stillbirths as like, yes, uh, they're interpreting her shadow baby births as stillbirths. Mm-hmm. So oh, it's either it's either they're either they're so actual like, shadow yeah. babies or they're real stillbirths. Yeah, it's e- both are possible. Uh, yeah, both possible. She could do have some, both. But yeah, the idea that like they would be like, well, she was pregnant and then she didn't have a baby, and like clearly she had a stillbirth, and instead she's like, Mwahaha. And because she's that's the magic why that strong thing, man so died. They're saying she's sacrificing <laughs> these babies to for stuff. They might not be wrong. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. Maybe like a Rago situation where they got used up. Yeah, yeah. Which, which seems to be what happened when Danny um, lit the pyre. 
And we also have this symbolism of if, if Alice is taking, you know, if like Melisandre takes some of Stannis' life force to make these babies, that's kind of what we're, we're hinted at. Uh, she maybe. stole Aemon's. Right. She would take some of Aemon's and Aemon's so young. And, you know, if he's, if he's kind of a, a white walker figure with the sapphire eye and this age, get, you know, aging unnaturally, then that kind of fits in pretty well. Especially um, because, like, she literally, well, figuratively steals his power. She yeah. steals uh, his child. So now she has the the kingship through that. If she has a dragon, well, he lost his and she gained one. So that's kind of like a um, another kind of, like, theft sort of thing. It's like it's like she took Aemon, took everything from him let him die to Damon and then tried to like become queen of Westeros and like <laughs> didn't, didn't do a bad job trying. Yeah, that's true. She made a good shot. It was a, it was a good attempt. <laughs> bad and, the most. And we don't know how it ends. Uh, super chat from the prince that wasn't promised. Darth Revis equals Darth Rivers. Oh, oh nice. Oh, nice. And he says, he also says, and Death Shadow, definitely Shadow Baby commented that on LML's stream a while back. Well, yeah. Good theory. So we're not the only ones to come up with that. I like to sure. see that theory coming up elsewhere because that does give it more, I think, validity that other people are thinking the same thing. So that's very cool. One thing that's maybe missing from this is uh, who these victims are, right? Like in this case, we know the victim is this person that got choked to death, but I'm not sure who all these other people would have been, but it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't kill the theory by any means. It's just uh, maybe another unanswered question to consider. And we might get more of that. We might get since we still have the second half of the story, presumably to, to go in fire and blood Two, we may get like something a little more direct in terms of shadow babies. Uh, maybe she sends a shadow baby after someone at the small council or something like that. Uh, yeah. Who knows? So let's move on here. Uh, the, the five year gap business we talked about that, that line I talked about rooting them out of Heron hall. I've got a particular quote, a stronger force would be required to root them out of Heron hall. Nice. A strong copy paste that one for myself. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that's when they're, this is, this comes when they're planning to send a larger assault force to take Heron hall. And, I can see, on one hand, it seems a little incredible that, that she held Hall for so long. But on the other hand, I can see how the circumstances would lead us to this. As I mentioned, it was winter, so that makes it really hard to bring an army together, especially if you're going to do a siege. <laughs> and besieging Hall sounds really hard because yes. it's so big. Uh, surrounding that would take a lot of men, so feeding all those men, really difficult. Um, and we have other examples of small castles holding out in winter against large forces like House Peak did against Makar. Uh, during um, his reign. That would have been, in fact, that would have been uh, about 100 years later. So there's also, like I said, Dalton Greyjoy and Rakalia Rindoon. But also, the longer they take to bring an army, the more chance she has to add more people to her kingdom, sure. right? She's got, she's bringing in bandits and broken men. Eventually, these people are going to start having their own kids and be families and have be more bought into this kingdom and have more, be more willing to protect it. And especially because she's taking on this figure of the witch queen and essentially everyone knows that she's an old God worshiper. There's quite a lot of old God people still throughout the Riverlands and especially during the dance. Is this when the um, has the winter wolves already come down? The winter wolves. Yeah, they, the winter wolves killed uh, killed Kristen Cole so, uh, right after or right around the same time Eamon dies and then they get slaughtered. Uh, or then they get slaughtered, um, you know, before the end of the war. So, yeah, we're certainly past that. So, yeah, very much could be a popular figure to rally around for those uh, those broken soldiers, maybe like the Blackwoods and the um, and some of the other first men houses come to 
Oh, come around on him. And also, like, if you're talking about a Knight's Queen figure, I mean, like, how perfect is she? Is it that she kills everybody, seizes Harrenhal, then winter falls so nobody can dethrone her? Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, oh, the, the winter rules were settled, right? They were settled all over the Riverlands. They had families now. They had kids. Right. It was... uh yeah, them, those, the few of those who survived and even more of Cregan's army because Cregan's army came down mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't ever fight. <laughs> so right. then none of them were killed, really. So, yeah, so that's really big. So I have this this next section I call the one true king of Hall, which is funny because Black Heron hardly got to. I mean, he he, yeah. ruled his, he ruled his kingdom for a while, but he only had Hall as his seat for what weeks at most. I don't know. We don't exactly. Know. Very, very short. We're told Aegon landed the last of the day Hall's castle was finished, which is probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's close enough. So that's kind of kind of funny that this kid, this, this son of Aemond is the one true king of Hall, and, and uh, Alice Rivers is the one the one true queen of Harrenhal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's doing a pretty good job. That's sort of a long running thing with the Strongs that I found is that nobody expects them to succeed and then they do. And then they just all sort of stick around for forever. Like among their 131 years that they were from Aegon's conquest until they supposedly went out, like they're hand of the king or in charge of the kingdoms for like half of it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's big. And Alice is is similar where she's having success. No one expects. And everyone thinks she's a simpleton and a woods witch, but clearly not. She's succeeding where so many others have failed. Yeah. And I wonder this tying into our previous uh, talk about dark sister, this, her reign would prohibit people from searching for the sword other than herself. Um, So that would explain kind of retroactively why it was, not found for so many years of course being underwater helps with that too but uh this adds to that whole whole business important to note that the there's some views on heron hall that might be a little off here we see heron hall through mostly the lens of of a song of ice and fire where we see that shella went had to give it up when tywin brought his army she had to run because she didn't have enough soldiers to defend it now Heron, and then Peter Baelish talks about how Hall is a bit of a curse, not because of the curse curse, but because of the financial curse, which is that it's sure. ruinous to try to fund this place. Prior to the Wents, though, the Lothstons were powerful because they had a large amount of the surrounding land. Mm-hmm. After the Lothstons, that policy was changed. They're like, look, this is just too powerful. You can't let those people get that powerful. So no king is going to allow the Hall to not be in debt. It's basically like a way to keep them down. Make sure they're always broke. So you don't let them have all the surrounding lands. Give those surrounding lands to the dairies and to the, well, I don't know, the other other houses that are nearby. So Hall can't fund itself. Because if it can fund itself, mm. it's insanely powerful. That's what Heron had in mind. But that's true. And uh, it's noted that when Damon took Hall from Simon Strong, yeah. that um, he didn't just liberate the castle. He took their funds. And it's said to be not like a large, large amount of money showing that, yeah, like you're saying, in the past, it used to be people could defend it because they actually got money from it. And from just like their success and their rules, their rule over the kingdoms as hands and masters of whisperers and all this stuff, like they were amassing large amounts of power. What you're talking about is probably in response to the strongs in some way. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we cannot allow that. Like that's part of why um, the Tullys were given river run by Aegon. Cause he's like, and why the Tyrells were given the reach by Aegon, because he knew that the those were those houses weren't that powerful on their own. And since they're 
not the traditional leaders of that region. There'll be some arguing within those regions over whether the Tullys or the Tyrells actually deserve to be in charge, which serves to keep them off Aegon's back. They're not going to re- mm-hmm. gather and attack him if they're too busy infighting. So that's very clever. Makes them dependent on the crown. Yes. So it's very, it's, there's some very, some cleverness in, in Aegon's uh, appoint, appointments of lords there that still plays out to this day. So let's try to imagine what happened with our last few minutes here. Let's try to imagine what happened to Alice because we don't know the answer. Um, we know that at least by 151, she was gone. That's a long way. That's 20 years after she basically took over because in 151, it was empty. We don't know how long it had been empty, but it, the quote is at le- a few years at least. So maybe more than that, maybe 10. But uh, that and it was given to Lucas Lawston. This is when the Lawstons get it. And mm-hmm. Felena Stokeworth, who was a mistress of Aegon the Fourth, Lucas Lawson was the master at arms at the Red Keep at the time. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? What do you have any theories on both descendants of of this boy? Whether this boy was probably just killed and that settled it? Maybe maybe anything that maybe happened to Alice, or just just hit us with your theories. Well, my most tinfoil thing of what happened to Alice is that she ended up being the ghost of High Heart. Whoa! <laughs> she just kept going, <laughs> and just like, well, the powers kind of match up, and like, we know from the ghost that maybe not literally her, but maybe part of their family, because we know Jenny of Oldstones is pro- is somehow related. Maybe that's like a similar bloodline going from so, Alice so Rivers. Two things here I would like to point out. One is if Ghost oh. of High Heart was Alice Rivers, cool. But if, for example, Ghost of High Heart was not Alice Rivers, but was instead her descendant because Alice yeah. had children and um, Jenny of Oldstones was also related there, mm, then yeah. you could say that when, when he married, when he got with Jenny of Oldstones, she was actually a Targaryen. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> See? It all wow. comes together. <laughs> They're like, that's why you're she's too her. low for him. We're like, no, actually. <laughs> she's the real side I mean, of the fire. It would be really funny if it was like, oh, no, she's base point. It's like, no, she's Eamon's uh, long lost <laughs> great grand. Yeah. grand daughter that's cool very cool but um in a more practical sense like we see from a lot of these characters as they get older these witchy characters is they tend to regret their attempts at seizing power like definitely the ghost of high heart yeah her, her what she did at summer hall well what she enabled in summer hall and melisandra she's definitely expressing regret at, regret at this point at the things she's done it's likely that alice probably followed their path and found somewhere quiet in the Riverlands yeah. in order to die. But if she kept going, if she still was like, fuck it, I'm, we're doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to continue being a witch queen. This, this, this fight isn't over just because I lost Hall. Then, I mean, any of these characters throughout the Riverlands, these magical witchy characters could definitely be related to her, especially because we know she has a kid. So yeah. it's right there. the possibility. And glamours give her the ability to escape. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that can explain how like if they took Star the castle, Sapphire. she just hides. Um, and on the other hand, uh, one one interesting uh, theory I have for her downfall that may have led to her downfall, especially if she was using glamours as a big part of her enforcing her rule and showing people how powerful her, she was. Well, the death of the dragons is maybe the, the beginning of the, the, the dropping off of magic somewhat. Now, there's some evidence. There's plenty of evidence to suggest there's still plenty of magic. Uh, in this period without the dragons, even though it was tampered down. So let's say the hinge of the world that is Hall started to get weaker. Well, if her glamours start failing, then she's yeah. going to start failing. If she just can't do that magic anymore, that would really, that could bring her down. That could at least, uh, or at least be the beginning of the end. It would crumble her, her authority. You know? Why she That's looks like the ghost of High Heart. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she finally got old. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, now that I'm she thinking about three it, feet tall. I mean, who was the only person to see through Blood, La- Blood, uh, Blood Raven's glamour? It was Dunk. Oh. So maybe, yeah. 
maybe this sort of thing just keeps ha- yeah maybe you're right maybe glamour's did get weaker for quite some time because uh-huh. like he d- i mean like for an instant dunk did kind of see blood did, right yeah on. and then he switched back but like maybe dunk's not such a lunk after all okay <laughs> yeah, maybe Give dunk's pretty credit. strong you know what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right by the way that will be uh amanda or disputed lands or crowfoot's daughter's mm-hmm. uh video she i'm talking about the history of how strong she's talking about where they are today and mm. one of the main points is well duncan the tall mm. or duncan well, he's called thick and he's called bullish. He's called strong. So oh, yeah. <laughs> seems to be interesting. Bullish, anyway. strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Breeding like a bull. The, <laughs> the, the sire of all. Yeah. yeah. The- Especially if he made his way to Winterfell and the Hodor with uh, the vision of brand. Anyway, anyway, that's, yes. that's a different thing. Yeah. More, for more on that, <laughs> check out Joe's video when it comes yeah. out. Yeah. But the, these, um, these families <laughs> never Amanda's. end. That's <laughs> the point of the rivers and the strongs. It's like, you, you think they're done. And just like the weirds, they pop back up again. They're still in the God's woods. The, the roots never go away. Even if you hack off the top of it, it's, it's amazing. So mm-hmm. Alice probably her descendants are probably still alive somewhere. I don't know if the kid ever would have tried to claim the throne. He probably wouldn't be able to because the strong, DNA yeah. overwhelms Valyrian, so he would mm. probably still look like a strong. Mm-hmm. So, which is why Dunk still has brown hair. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> that would make sense. Jenny yeah, so. why she might not look up to Stone on this hill right? now, like or or Jon Snow. <laughs> oh my God, craft it. Wow, well, if the, if the Strongs and Starks are the same, and then you get yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for timeline purposes, if we're trying to, I, I, I'm, you know, I think that I, I agree with you that it's pretty tinfoil to think that she's the ghost of High Heart, but her descendant is possible because she goes has like red eyes and stuff like that. She's so short, it's kind of yeah, hard to imagine. Unless Alice was using a glamour the entire time Ooh. we knew her in yeah. Fire and Blood, which maybe is possible. It's possible. And that's, that's, just that's, that's also pretty tinfoil. Like, I like the idea that she just looked like the ghost of High Heart the whole time Eamon was with her, and he had no idea that. That's <laughs> yeah, just like Stannis doesn't know what Mel's yeah. really. Oh no, Aemon. No, don't do it. But in her description, she does seem almost Melisandre-like in that she seems like larger than life. Mm. Especially when she's standing there with uh, naked in front of the godswood or when she he lands and her hair is going out behind her and she's got the huge swollen belly. It's like, this kind of reminds me of Mel in a way. Just like how other people see her as like mm-hmm. a m- incredible, like larger, th- a larger yeah. than life figure. Yeah. Hey, she's just pregnant. She's not that big. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Melisandre, that's the same ver- language used when Davos is seeing her, right? Her belly when she, she, you know, outside of Storm's End when she, you know, takes her robe off and her belly is all like described yeah. similarly. I'm going to check out the, the way those two, uh-huh. those two, yeah. uh, pa- uh, two uh, paragraphs are written. We got um, a question here from Jojo Lady Dane. Okay. That I thought was kind of interesting. Do we think that Betha Blackwood might turn out to be a witchy type when we eventually find out more about mm-hmm. her? And that is kind of a vibe that I have gotten from her is that with the Blackwood and the old gods thing, if not witchy, that she's a little more in touch with um, yeah. that side of things. Because that's something that obviously Egg uh, yeah. is involved in. Like Egg is investigating these higher mysteries and like that's what happens to them okay. all. So like the idea that she is invested or knows something about that, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting yeah. these riverlands That's women and like with the old gods connection yeah we that was a big part of our summer hall episodes we tried to we don't really know that much about betha so we tried to speculate on what her role might have been in all this whether she was against it or for it and yeah we really don't know but yeah. the idea that she was for it makes sense because if she was against it that just makes the whole thing less likely to have happened yeah, in the why first would place. she been there even <laughs> just leave yeah and that she was probably uh, there yeah right, i don't yeah. know 
There's a little so, digression, but I still thought it was somewhat. In LML, I think I saw his, his comment. He points out that Nettles was uh, another character that was seen as a witch, like a yeah, fire witch. A fire witch versus so another, uh, Alice is like a knight's queen type figure. He was pointing out. That's a that's oh, a Amanda a, thing. She a, thinks Alice Rivers is a uh, is Nettles is um the fire witch from the Vale. So let's close out with uh, with some. One of our favorite uh, websites. That, TV Tropes. TV Tropes, which uh, we've been talking about tropes yeah. a lot this episode. Fire and Blood has its own section in TV on Tropes. This site. Yeah, could, Fire yeah. and Blood does, A Song of Ice and Fire does, but yeah, there's awesome people on there who are going through it and putting these tropes in for this new book. <laughs> That's right. And one of the really fun things about TV Tropes is because George has this reputation of breaking tropes and subverting tropes, it's interesting to, to look at what these tropes are and see individual examples of whether he not he actually broke the trope or inverted it or went along with kind of a standard trope. Because, of course, as we've said before, George doesn't break all the tropes. That would be just as predictable as using all the tropes. Well, not quite as predictable, but pretty darn predictable. So um, he changes how he likes to work with tropes. We'll set it that way. He takes different looks. So the TV tropes for Alice Rivers are the mistress, which is she was Eamon's mistress, despite him being engaged to a Baratheon lady and valued her enough to actually listen to her. That one's fairly straightforward, except for the mistress is uh, usually... Um, she was a little bit less of a mistress, more of his partner at this point, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. What she you're getting at is that, like, there was no conflict to do with her being his mistress. He didn't yeah. have a, a, a wife or anything. And as it know? says here, engaged. He was engaged yeah. to Baratheon. He yeah. actually married her. So... The trope, it's not, I wouldn't call it subverting the trope, but it just doesn't quite fit perfectly because of it's not a marriage, that he didn't actually have a relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. uh, they hadn't ever been together. Um, anyway, so the next one is morality pet, which is to a certain extent for Amond. She manages to prevent him from strangling a squire who brought him the news about the Westland's army being crushed at the battle by the lakeshore. So this one's, I don't know if he subverts this so much as that it's barely in present because I don't, this is the only example of that. And later she's, pretty immoral so uh <laughs> she's, she's more moral than Amon in this one instance I yes suppose. yes and being um, more moral than Amon isn't saying much <laughs> she, i don't think she makes him moral but i think she does like kind of lead him around by the nose and put her morality in his place yeah. where it seems like she's convincing him quite a lot of things so i guess that kind of makes sense if you stretch it yeah so it's not so the trope inversion is that he's not the she's not the pet He's the pet. He's being by led way, by her. I want to point out that if any anyone listening to this is like, I strongly disagree with this this classification under this trope. That's the great thing about TV tropes. You can go there and you can write what you think the tropes are and why you think this isn't the case or how it's subverted. It's a like Wikipedia. It is open source. Like you know, m many people contribute to this. Um, yes. So I just want to point that out. The next trope is older than they look, and this one. There's mm. no argument there. This is straight yeah. up. Yeah. It is said she was much older than he looked and used magic to keep herself young. That one's extremely straightforward. And the, 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 pro the, the slight difference here is that she's not, uh, she doesn't look young or old. She's just kind of ageless. And it's, yeah, it's, she might be younger yeah. than she, not that, you know, I just, in certain other cases. Anyways, uh, it goes, she is ageless. And so we can't really put a, a, a yeah. The rumor is she could use magic keepers of young. That isn't actually proven yeah. Uh, yeah. because Melisandre does almost certainly that we They're have like, evidence. She uses this is magic thing. to keep herself young, and she's like, "I'm only 25. <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> age well. I, what are you talking about?" <laughs> I, I thought the the age thing was kind of overblown in the text because she's a bastard daughter of of like if she's Lord Lionel's. Like they don't keep track of those things, especially not like 150 yeah. years later. So it's like, yeah. 
I'm, I'm sure nobody actually knows her real name because it wasn't important enough to mark down because she was a bastard. That yeah. kind of happens. Mm-hmm. It's and not like like Damon Waters, like where it's like, oh my god, he's gonna be incredible. It's like they clearly didn't value her. So yeah, good point. Uh, the next trope is seer. She can see the future and fires and other things. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty straightforward. Yes, she is a uh, has prophecy. Now the way George stand, George kind of inverts prophecy tropes somewhat in various ways. Um, I'm not sure he does a whole lot of it here because in this case, we don't really get to see what her prophecies are. So it's hard to subvert them when we don't actually have them. Uh, Although we did see that when she was standing on the King's pyre in order to watch the battle, she definitely knew a battle was going to come. She gave herself like <laughs> the best seat in the house. Like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> she was also probably more confident in the out- uh, outcome. Like, whoops. I imagine she's one of the characters that probably did have accurate visions because they did keep like ghosting Damon, who was actively looking for them. That's true. So I imagine she knew it was really going to happen and didn't tell Eamon. <laughs> or really told point. him what he needed to stay alive until he got there. And she he, she clearly was right about where Damon was, right? I mean, yeah. uh, she over found and over. Him. Yeah. So that was not only where he wasn't, but where he was. You're right. That's uh, She may be more of the Makoro style of accuracy rather than the Melisandre style of <laughs> not so accurate. Uh, the next trope is something to remember him by, which is the trope of a person dying, leaving a pregnant woman behind. Now, this trope is very inverted, even though on the surface it sounds straightforward. The thing is, this this trope is always, almost always uh, a hero that dies, leaving behind hmm. like their descendant with the, like the sad, tragic princess figure or woman that has left to raise this yeah. you know son. So this is very different because the son is not a good guy. She's not this tragic left behind figure and Eamon certainly wasn't a hero. <laughs> so uh, that, so he does a pretty good job inverting that one. Do you have any, uh, any thoughts on that one? Uh? I don't know. It would, it would just be kind of like if we find out in winds of winter, like their secret Ramsey supporters, like someone <laughs> that's like, ah, oh, I miss, I miss his rule. It was so good to me. Like, <laughs> I, there's gotta be somebody. He did have supporters, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> if you're doing that for Eamon one eye, you're a dick. <laughs> yeah, or, or yellow dick in Ramsey's case. Oh, there you go. There we go. <laughs> Shoved right down the throat. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the last TV trope here is what happened to the mouse, which is Shadrick her- the mouse. <laughs> no. Oh, Sir Shadrick. Yeah, well, the ageless Sir Shadrick. Yeah. Well, it's, he's in the same spot. Her, her fate <laughs> after the Dance of the Dragons is currently unknown. Any details about her bastard child by Eamon is are also completely unknown. And the thing is, the the trope. What happened to the mouse is a minor character who the author forgets about or just d- ne- declines to <laughs> declines to finish up on, like a dangling yeah. plot thread. Now, so it's not fair to call this a dangling plot thread because we expect this to be resolved in mm-hmm. Fire and Blood 2. If it's not, then then yes, it is a what happened to the mouse trope, like 100%. But I don't expect that to is a, Depending on if that gets followed up, is more likely, I think, to not be followed mm. up and to actually fit that. Nettles is a little bit more of that category. Well, again, yeah, we can't say for sure whether we won't get more of it. Yeah. That's the thing about covering an ongoing series is yeah. that as a lot of these, these tropes will change. Like, and, mm-hmm. uh, that, like that one swan girl that took over the brothel is another one they, they, oh, bring, yeah, they bring yeah, her up yeah. and then kind of like says, well, we don't have time to describe her here. Uh, yeah. And like, hey, well, she's cool, though. <laughs> Yeah. About that. Or Sarah Targaryen, you know, like we don't yeah. know what happened to her uh, in the long run. Things like that. There's a lot of those. There are, it is fair to say that what happened to the mouse applies to several characters here. I, just, I would say it doesn't I, apply I, to Alice Rivers, though. I would have a hard time believing that he's going to let Alice go because yeah. the main reason I started the, the House Strong History in video was because I, I think I've 
said this on other live streams before, but it was like, I was blown away at how much George cares about this family who showed up so late. Mm. They only show up in a feast for crows the first time, like named. And then from there, it's just like skyrocketing references and he's putting them in huge positions. Like Breakbones is at the center and the strongs are at the center of the dance of the dragons. And Alice is also at the center of it. He's not going to let the, her go, nor that Targaryen baby or that dragon. If she has one, yeah. those are coming back. It's uh, it's a huge deal when George retrofits something like that because it's important. Because if it wasn't important, he wouldn't have to do a retrofit. He could do something simpler. He could attach these factors to another existing house. Like he could have done some of the stuff with the Blackwoods or the Brackens instead. Any family. It doesn't have to be the Strongs. Right. They were nobodies. And that's why Darkstar is the same logic with Darkstar. Darkstar was a retrofitted cadet branch that didn't exist. So the fact mm-hmm. that he's a Dane clearly matters. It's not If he wanted to, if, if, if it could have been someone else, he could have been an Uller or a Ironwood or anything, but he's or a Dane, what, so that matters. What's the one with the Ouroboros as their sigil? The Tallens? Tallens yeah. would be a good one. The dragon eating its tail, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good That's mm. a good point, yeah, because we didn't have their sigil ahead of time. I think the house had been named as like an off, just an, you know. The Tallen girl who has her dreams. Yeah. Tiara. Tiara Tallen, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, let's call that a day. I think we've covered <laughs> Alice Rivers pretty well. Um, thank you for coming, Joe the Gathering. <laughs> that's really gonna so, stick more than joey mcwizards i think at least at least from us <laughs> well maybe i'll just change it to my uh my twitter handle and i'll just own it <laughs> oh actually there was one more thing i wanted to say uh, regarding her dragon which are you mm-hmm. on are you, so you you you're, you're thinking it was a glamour right i'm thinking that this is something that i noticed a lot when uh when i was reading through alice it reminds me heavily of melisandre where she does have power but then there's also a lot of elements of her faking stuff yeah. and playing on her her reputation. So who is this random guy? Would he actually recognize a real dragon if he saw it? How, what was the situation? I don't know. It, I think it's like... I'm just I'm laughing it, at the idea of like, would he recognize a real dragon if he saw I mean, it? Like, like as if there's like some a, like, like a real baby difference. dragon. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was you she, never know. she got like a lizard. And just like, <laughs> it's a dragon. It's Maybe. a lizard line. It's just a, <laughs> it's a random dude. Yeah, but. sure. Okay. I just, I I'm really like, tickled by the idea of like a lizard line, like he said. <laughs> I got a certain point. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not that crazy but, but no, I, 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 I know it's not like, crazy she just thinks no, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, imagining I, it yeah I, imagining it is funny but also the idea that like her using like you know, like we're talking about like making a glamour the idea that she did use like a base of like she got the oh, creature yeah. and like mm-hmm. used the glamour on this creature anyway like uh, like painting um stripes <laughs> on a horse and yeah, saying, yeah exactly i'm just picturing like this scenario <laughs> she tapes some wings onto a frog and is like fear my <laughs> if she, creation if she actually has a dragon though i have like where would she get the egg does well, that mean was there clutch vegar was at heron but she was pretty old at that time yeah Who it's not be? likely but it is that is where the egg would come from that's my best guess for where an egg would come from so yeah, maybe Eamon was carrying one around with him or there's a secret clutch of eggs out there still yeah like, for that to happen there's some she really interesting backstory to be discovered yeah she would have had to lay an egg there which is weird or maybe caraxes would lay an egg there but caraxes huh? is doesn't seem that likely either uh but it's you know it's it's not zero percent chance we'll say <laughs> not zero and, i still uh, I, I still want to see the fake dragon just like yeah like a crocodile yeah and a you, baby crocodile <laughs> you wonder if any of the other dragons that hadn't yet died out because they were dead by 157 157 is the year the last dragon died so if this mm-hmm. was a real dragon which i agree with like we all seem to be largely on the side of it wasn't but let's say it was it would have been dead by 157 because that's when the, all the dragons were dead by i you wonder if say the dragon morning 
was oh. used to attack Heron Hall. Maybe they because they because that's the problem, right? If they had still had dragons, they could have taken Heron Hall back from her easily. But all the dragons were basically gone after uh, the Dance of the Dragons. So that was uh, kind of everything working out for her. Uh, apparently, uh, San Rixian Super Chat here says, LML came up with Matt the Gavin. Yeah, right, LML well. hates magic for some reason, so I used it to troll him. <laughs> I, I like, like, there's a really cool card in the current standard set that's a meteor coming down and destroying stuff, so I constantly <laughs> send it to him, like, look, it's it's the thing you think. <laughs> he doesn't like it, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's, now we're really going to wrap it up. So, okay. so, Matt, please tell everyone where to find you, and uh, you know, uh, home address. Yeah. Social security you. number. Yeah, please, please <laughs> let me know. But he says let people know he's me. Allergies, <laughs> uh, pet peeves. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, according to Gray Area, I am the Weirwood from Winterfell, so you can find me there. Okay. <laughs> she, she, that was her explanation of who I am in universe. Uh. I'm a Weirwood who knows everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, yeah. I'm, more more real i guess um the <laughs> high strong video that uh that we've been talking about the whole time um that's i'm gonna try and get that out by friday cool. so and then amanda should come out around the same time because we're doing we're doing it at the same time we're gonna do a stream afterwards maybe in deep geek is gonna be on that uh we're oh, gonna cool. work the problem with he lives across the pond so it's hard to work those things out but we'll see if we can um and then i'm gonna do the 5,000 subscriber q a which is even funnier to me now because now i have 6400 since i made that <laughs> so change it to the 6,000 subscribers just, just, yeah so people are like you should take more questions i'm like uh, a thousand what? more <laughs> that, one's actually gonna be, that one's actually gonna be recorded i'm gonna take video it's not gonna be me talking over pictures i'll just be doing this so okay. that'll be new mm, nice um, oh, maybe i'll tune in to see your pretty blue eyes <laughs> i'm gonna the share ocean. like this the whole time i want to see you chew gum and chalk at the same time <laughs> i don't even know what that means like draw with chalk yes. no no i mean you're chewing gum and chalk oh, it's in your, both, both in your mouth so, at the same yeah. time oh chewy chalk oh well, gum is great. gum is already coated in chalk that's what that is when you open a pack a stick of gum that white powder that's chalk oh i'm not God. kidding that's chalk <laughs> i've never heard of that um, yeah. it's, other, it's marble dust yeah <laughs> the other thing that's gonna be coming up is uh me and gray area are gonna record something talking about the who's the night king trying to kill quote we oh, both have cool. different ideas so we're gonna talk it out it's nice gonna be a good one. that should be fun should, uh, the baby should have some book relevance too very very possibly yeah i think i think it confirms one of my theories oh anyway. that's always nice when the, the waymar one anyway yeah cool um and then uh maester monthly we recently put an episode and we're planning the next one now-ish yeah right. and then um i'm not sure if i'm doing anything else for watchers on the wall besides the beer thing but i'll, I'll think of something but you can yeah. find me at all those places cool and they can find you in person at con of thrones in july yes. i suppose yes. where i will be spending aziz levels of time on stage apparently oh, really? <laughs> cool. well maybe not aziz levels but pretty high yeah you get to aziz levels you got to be doing like 12 13 panels okay so not aziz levels like like a mini aziz like mini me version of him like, <laughs> like snack size <laughs> i plan to enjoy other parts of the con <laughs> yeah, my limit's about six or seven is the most I would really want to do personally. Oh. 
I just want to make sure, Ashaya, at all my panels, can you fix my microphone for me again? Of course. Call <laughs> me, you. meet me when you want to reach me. I'll be there. You know. <laughs> Put up the bat de ash yeah. symbol. Exactly. <laughs> my mic's not working. Come help. <laughs> be extra fitting if I actually bring my Lost in cosplay. Now I don't think I'm going to wear Danelle Lost Ooh. in Con of Thrones. It's so hot. Like Nashville hot. in July. July Nashville, yeah. I don't know about wearing leather armor, unfortunately. Yeah. And I don't know about all those people dressed as Starks and like their furs and stuff. No way for me. Set that a lot of respect um, I have for them, though. That's that's going to be a sweaty con. Yeah, I will be. I will just bring water everywhere with me and be like, hydrate, please, please. You're gonna be hurt. I'm just gonna like go throw money at San Rixie and be like, go get me some water. <laughs> go buy go buy a four dollar water from the hotel or whatever. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay. All um, right. We're going to exit now. I'm not going to do the Patreon credits because we're pretty far over today. And uh, we, we have some now? IRL. We have some IRL stuff to run to. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we uh, We get those in almost every time. Over, but, um, occasionally we have to... to, to Blood Raven 3 is still coming. Yeah. It's it, it, so close, Zach. Poor Zach of Game of Owns has just been editing away. And he's realizing that, hey... Editing and rendering and exporting a two hour plus video is not quite the same as doing a music video. And uh, I'm quite validated to know that it isn't just like a walk in the park and that you, there is, there are some adjustments to the technical aspects of this all. So anyways, he's doing his little best with his little laptop. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's a reason that uh, my computer is beastly because our episodes are quite intensive. So anyways, that's coming though. So we might have it as late as late tonight for yeah. $7 plus patrons and then it'll go up, you know, according More likely schedule. is tomorrow. Um, is Wednesday is more likely for patrons. Um, and I sure as hell hope it isn't longer than that. But honestly, technology, uh, I get it that we're at its mercy. It's sometimes, amazing and incredible, yeah. but also sometimes a little slower than we want. There's parts we can't always control. Like when you're yeah. uploading a video and waiting for it to process, you just have nothing. Yeah. yeah. So it's out of, out that's of your our own. little excuse. Basically, if you're angry that we don't have Blood Raven 3 for you, go tweet at Game of Owns. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's all right here. <laughs> That's not very nice, but it is very funny. <laughs> if, he gets, if anyone tweets at him, I'm going to edit this out of the video and, and Zach will have no proof that I said this. <laughs> so. Anything else you want to complain about to us? Direct at oh, Zach also. Uh, yeah, like if direct you, it to Game of if Owns. I ever co- Game of Owns. If I ever act, insulted you, just blame yeah. Zach. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Hannah is going to get these tweets and be yeah, like, what? Like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it, so. Anyway, okay, well, thanks everybody for coming. Thanks to all our live viewers. Thanks to everybody who came to chat and hang out and make our live streams extra fun. The community aspect of this whole thing is part of what makes it great. Uh, we love diving through new material and going deep with these uh, sort of semi-obscure characters that are always really important, even when they're obscure. So... It's uh, kind of a conundrum that obscure characters are important, but this is the fandom we live in, and we love it. Mm-hmm. So, until next time, everybody. Uh, thanks, Ashea. Thanks, Joe. And thanks to Lauren. Matt the Gathering. God, Aziz. I'm going to cut you off. Matt the Goodbye. Gathering. <laughs> I cut you off. <laughs>